Hello and welcome to Media Made, the show in which we, year by year, explore the movies, music, and TVs that most invaded our lives. I am your host, resident of the Splash Zone, Rod, and I'm joined by... His buddy, Jess. (laughs) Alright, I must warn you folks, this might be... The most epic episode you've ever been a part of. Or... There will be laughing, there will be crying, there will be jubilation. Let me me put it this way. What we're going to talk about today is, in my opinion, Jess's worst movie that we will ever talk about. And I think she has the same to say about my movie. Yeah, I hate your movie so much. And (laughs) so it's going to be, there are going to be, passions will be high, Uh, there will be uh, a lot of uh, anger, (laughs) frustration, uh, befuddlement. That is what you're in for today, but you know, some, sometimes that you know that, that gets the best content. You know, never when when emotions are high, when when we're invested, that's when never be high. We put on the best show. So <laughs> that is that. All right. So hey, welcome to Media Made. Let me explain what the show is about. Um, if you are new to the show, here's what we do. Uh, Jess and I we talk about movies, music, and TV. Today we're going to be talking about movies. And we have gone through a list of every movie released in the year 1993, and we have decided which one each of us have watched the most in our lives. And it just so happens that the two movies from 1993 that each of us had watched are awful. They are absolutely awful. We were both children. We had bad taste. And we're and that talk- is our only excuse. That's the only excuse. That's it. When you're a kid, you watch a lot of crap, a lot of garbage. And, and your parents just let it happen. They, they totally do. <laughs> Oh, why uh, have they done this? You well, had the chance to give us good media, Mom, Dad. I blame you for this episode. Ha- hey, my mom and dad don't have the best taste either. <laughs> you me. can also blame your sister because you had to watch some of that crap because you had a younger sibling. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, my '92 show was Barney. Not not just because of her, but you know, she didn't help. <laughs> Uh, also, um, I ha- if, as we'll talk about, I have other family members to blame for my movie choice in 1993. True. Oh, it was a group affair. But before we do that, I'll ask this: Where were you in the year 1993? Oh, I thought it was 92 for a second, and it was just, where were you? 1992. No, 93. Where were we? 93. Hey, <laughs> step, 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 step. I was. Probably in daycare, not in kindergarten yet, or preschool. Four years old, roundabouts? I might have been in preschool. Uh, I might have been in daycare as a one-year-old. My mom was a workaholic. Um, Both my parents... Love you. (laughs) Both my parents were worker. You know, they were in the workforce. They had to get get up early and go to work, so they dropped me off at the daycare, and I, yeah, that was my life, even as a little baby. I was in the baby room. (laughs) Hello, a room just for yeah. babies. I'm trying to think if there is any like important world events in '93. Oh, well, you probably should have googled that first. Yeah, I don't really care too much about <laughs> that stuff. Like, I don't, I don't think so. I don't, I, I think uh, we were, you know. I just want somebody to like send us a newspaper clipping like nothing important happened in '93, and it's like, dude, I don't know. Kennedy shot. Oh gosh. <laughs> no. Hey, if something crazy happened in '93, let me know. But yeah, as far as I know. Uh, from what I remember about '93, which is basically nothing, it wasn't wasn't too bad. <laughs> you, I was I was I was a baby. It was before the world taught you that it wasn't a good place. This is true, but let's jump into it. My movie, 1993, released July 16th, 1993, starring Jason James Richter, Lori Petty, 
August Schellenberg, Jane Atkinson, Michael Madsen, and Michael Ironside. Written by Keith Walker and directed by Simon Winsor. We have Free Willy. Randall, let's free him. What? Let's free Willy. We could take him down the bank and put him back in the water. That, that, that's the line of the film. <laughs> he says, let's free Willy. Uh, the, 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 this is the whale movie, everybody. It's the movie about Shamu. <laughs> <laughs> this is the movie about the killer whale. It kills someone? Yeah. <gasps> kills uh, <gasps> kills the, the, the rich uh, water park owner's wallet. Oh, gosh. It kills his, his insurance fraud. Uh, his bit. plans to... Yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay, so I need to explain this movie. And there's no better way to explain why this film is my film than with our tried and true segment, Mom Texts. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I reached out to my mom. It was actually not really a mom text. It was a mom call. Mm. Um, I called. I, I don't know if I, I. I called her the other day, um, not about this movie, about something else. So she says, "Oh, I'm hanging out with your aunt today," and I said, "Get her on the phone and ask her some questions." <laughs> so this is more of a aunt texts, maybe aunt calls. Yeah. Um, play that in reverse. <laughs> She's a mom. Um, she she was a mom. So I asked her why Free Willy because I watched Free Willy for the first time at her house. She had. That that was another thing. It was like I was at daycare a lot. I also was watched by a bunch of relatives a lot. You know, so whenever I was being watched by this particular aunt, you know, I'd go to her house and uh, her her kids were at school or whatever. So it was just me and her. Maybe my uncle was there some days. Um, and I guess I just had access to whatever VHS tapes that she had access to, right, at her house. Right. And one of those films was Free Willy. And I asked, like, where did that tape come from? We need to understand the origin of the tape. Because I, I bought it because my kids liked it. I, I guess Free Willy was a popular film for kids, and, you know. Like, I guess. I guess I don't know. Like her. I'm not saying it wasn't. Did you watch Free Willy before? I'm sure I have. No, I know that I have. I just have no memories of it. No fondness. Nope. <laughs> nope. So like, apparently she bought the tape for her. So when I went to her house, it was just like. She probably just put it on for me. Here's a kid's film that... Here's something my, safe for you to watch yeah. where there's nothing bad in. So I became obsessed as a little boy. You know, all little kids, like, they just watched the same movie over and over and over and over again. So it was like, here, we're taking you to your aunt's house. Oh, free witty. Free witty. Free witty. <laughs> I had a speech impediment as a child. <laughs> You're so cute. Free witty. Okay, see, but here's the thing. I Kids, I don't know how recently you've watched this movie, but I don't... I cannot imagine the draw for a child. It's weird, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, because like, as we'll talk about the premises, if, if you don't know what Free Willy's about, it's a movie about an orca whale. Basically, a uh, an orphan boy befriends a whale at a water park that he's working at, and they become fast friends, and eventually they decide, we're going to Free Willy. We're going to get him out of captivity and send him off to the wild. It was the kid's induction into PETA. <laughs> There's spring in that whale. From the brig. Well, Springer. <laughs> God. I hate that. But yeah, it's like, I think the draw of the movie was the whale. That's what got the kids in the door, was the whale. But there wasn't really whale stuff. There, He's the main character. He's the yeah, title character. Yeah, but like... Yeah, the other half of the movie is like not about the whale. Yeah, and like when you do see the whale, there there's a, a two-minute montage of whale tricks. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. The rest is just like. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, 
That's it. It's not even that, like, it's not really much of a comedy either, you know? It's kind of a drama. Yeah. For a lot of the film, So yeah. I'm just like, ugh. Paris probably just put it on because, uh, is sea but creatures are in it. What did my, like, five-year-old, whatever, my four-year-old self see in it? Though? That you had to watch it so many times. I can't even, as an adult, I don't figure know. that out. Yeah, it's... We, it's unanswerable. Un... I think it was just the whale because that's the only thing I remembered. And then everything else just kind of fizzled away. All of the kid drama stuff. and uh, I don't get it. I don't understand. All the, the orphan stuff. Like There's was, so much stuff happening. In yeah, that it was, It's just like, yeah, man, I'm there to see a big old whale. <laughs> uh, There's a, a whale. And a little kid ride Let's the whale. Let's rewind it and do it again. Yep. And that is how I consumed Free Willy so often. I, I stole my aunt's tape. Thief. I don't know if I stole it, but it was like, I watched it so much that I guess, you know, my aunt just said, have it. <laughs> just have it. And don't bring it back over here when you come to visit. <laughs> I don't want to watch it anymore. <laughs> yeah, so then it's just like, her tape became my tape, and I watched it a bunch at home, too. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. Children get so fixated on stuff. All you I feel like as kids, we're all a little, like... Obsessive? Yeah. Compulsive. Like, that's, like, some people... Yeah. I guess, for lack of a better term, grow out of it. Oh, yeah. And But then some people, it becomes more prominent. I feel like it's like, yeah, it's like a it's like a sense of control, you know? Like, as a little kid, it's just like, I have control over this. I know what this is, and I feel comfortable. Yeah, but it's I like also... So, sorry, we're deviating, but I do just want to say, I think it's so weird that, like, as parents, we, I'm using the royal we, not actually us... Allow kids to watch whatever they want just so they stop screaming and stuff. But there comes a time where it's just like, nope, this is my TV. I pay for it. I'll watch what I want to watch. Right. Um, and that's such a weird, like, conceptually, that's such a weird thing where it's like now the child has to learn, like, no, we, we share or no, this is mine or no, the control is actually mine. Yeah. Your parents don't want to watch Free Willy. I think it's probably because they hit that point and they're like, that all threshold. right, we're done. Now you're going to need to learn that there's other stuff to watch. Because, like, legit, oh, I, I have so much respect for all you parents out there. Um, you are way stronger than I could ever be. Uh, I don't know if I could watch. You better be stronger than that <laughs> one day. <laughs> I, was, I, don't, I don't know if I could watch Free Willy more than, you know. Twice. Twice in a week. Oh. I, I, I'd lose my mind. Twice in three years for me, thank you. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we have watched it twice and I will never watch it again. My parents are just like, I can't tell my kid no. Mm. I mean, it's probably a different thing when you're a parent. Like, as an auntie, I'm just going to be like, bye, kid. I'll watch what I want to watch, and you'll get some better taste. And when I send you back to your parents, I mean, watch what they watch. Yeah. I mean, hey, maybe being an aunt, maybe it's just, like, a way to, like, get rid of, like, the tapes that you don't want, like, your kids to watch anymore. Like, I imagine, like, my, if my cousin got home and said, hey, we want to ever watch Free Willy. What'd you do with our tape? Oh, I gave it to your cousin. What? <laughs> Perfect. You know what? We should give away that movie that you hate. A Wrinkle in Time. Let's give that to our nephews. Yeah, that movie sucks. <laughs> Wrinkle in Time with Oprah. It's not good. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about Free Willy. So let's jump in. Let me tell you where this movie came from. How it got made. I'm here for it. Free Willy was conceived by actor, writer, and producer Keith Walker in 1984 while shooting the adventure film The Goonies. Ooh. So he was... He was. That's in, another movie with a whale. Is there a whale in that? I don't know. I've never seen it. I've never. Movies. I have also not seen it, but apparently <laughs> this man, Keith Walker, acted in it. Oh, okay. So Walker became inspired by the film setting of Astoria, Oregon, and began writing his first fe feature-length screenplay about a 10-year-old orphan boy befriending a captive whale. 
you know, it makes sense. You know, orphan boy without parents, uh, a whale taken from his parents to be put in a zoo. Weird. They connect in that way. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. I could understand just like looking at a story, yeah, yeah, a yeah. story of Oregon and be like, it's beautiful. Yeah. And you could just see whales out in the bay and you're like, yes, I would like to write a, mo- a movie about whales. <laughs> Um, Walker sent the completed script to Goonies director Richard Donner in early 85, and Donner, along with his wife Lauren Schuler Donner, uh, and screenwriter Corey Bleckman, spent the next seven years fine-tuning it for a blockbuster appeal. Okay. I mean, I guess, was it a blockbuster? Yes. Well, it blusted some blokes. <laughs> what? Apparently, like, in their minds, it wasn't, like, the script was, like, okay, mm. but it didn't have that, like, oomph. They knew they they were going to be they weren't going to be able to sell it in the the state it was when he turned it in. Uh, according to Schuler Donner, uh, the original script was quote too sweet, too mushy, too formulaic, and the main character was mute and lived with nuns. Oh my gosh! But I would I would watch that movie. I would see that movie. <laughs> like, Somebody write fan fiction of that. Little, Actually, publish that script. Like a little mute boy who lives with nuns who goes yes. to befriends a whale, and it's yes. like just like unspoken scenes between yes. them. Yes. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's like neither of them can speak the language that they were born into. I. That'd be interesting, or the language of the place that they're around. I think that'd be interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, other as ma- long as he doesn't find his voice at the end, then that's that's mushy and cliche and formulaic. <laughs> Maybe it happened. Um, other major changes, including aging up the main character a little bit from like 10 to 12-ish and making the premise edgier and more contemporary. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Like there's there's like a little bit of hip hop flair in there. I It's contemporary Kid, and edgy. Kids, it, out, kids out on the street, you know, like Jesse, the main character. Some backstreet boys. <laughs> Jesse, the main character, has got some attitude, you know? He talks back. He's, he's in a bit of a rough streak. Yeah. So, I, I guess, you know, he's, he's I don't know, he's a little bit more street smart, street tough than a, a mute orphan boy from a monastery or whatever, <laughs> from the convent. Here's the thing. I'm going to need to dissuade. I don't know. We haven't met that Jesse, but I think that Jesse could go pretty hard. <laughs> <laughs> the, the real Jesse would beat up that Jesse. <laughs> Take his fish. That's the Jesse Pinkman. <laughs> Take his fish. Yeah. Oh. Young Jesse steals fish in this movie. This is true. All right. While the 1990 draft of the script appealed to Warner Brothers, the studio needed a bit more cajoling to greenlight the project. Producers ended up showing Warner executives footage uh, shot by wildlife photographer Bob Talbot of Orca Whales out in the Pacific Ocean. And in April 1991, WB okayed a $20 million budget for the film. So yeah. That's cool. Is that cool? I guess so. Uh, Free Willy's first director, Robin Armstrong, uh, was still demanding rewrites as late as April 92. So they were let go in favor of Australian director Simon Winsor, who is known for being good with actors, good with landscapes, and good with animals. Okay. So yeah, the actual director of this film is an Australian man. All right, because... Good day, mate. No. <laughs> <laughs> and that is Free Willy. Took seven years to make, but it's really not that complicated. Yeah, that was a pretty short history. Yeah, it it, it just comes down to like this is such a niche film, you know. Like a lot of this, a lot of this like research, I had to like dig deep. Yeah, you know, like for all the reasons I hate this movie, it is a very different movie from the ones that we've talked about thus right. far. It's it's very different. 
it's very unconventional for a kids movie too as we talked about like yeah it feels more like a um what is that word when you're like preaching in what you're saying didactic yes this film is like it's a lot more didactic in the like than any of the other ones that we've watched yeah like there's a clear message Mm. like you know uh about nature and conservation and uh protecting animals in captivity yeah and uh like as we'll talk about a very clear message about the foster system yeah and adoption yeah they this movie has things to say as we'll talk about like some of these things they could have said better. Yes. But it at least had something to say. Hmm. But let's let's jump into this movie. With two feet. Two feet right into the tank. Oh, you should have said a dive into this movie. <laughs> let's take a deep dive into the tank. Oh, that is this movie. Okay, so um, as we mentioned, the main character's name is Jesse. He's a 12-year-old orphan boy. Where He's not do- technically an orphan, but mm-hmm. Where do we meet Jesse? What is he doing at the beginning of the movie? He is hustling some pigeons. He's bumming for money. Yes. Excuse me. My mom dropped me off on the way to work and she forgot to give me bus fare. Could I borrow some money? Oh, thanks, lady. You have a good day. Thanks a lot. And uh, he's, he's with a group of these kids and they're all just like in the town square, Portland, Oregon, out there hustling for money. Are they important? <laughs> they are important okay. in the beginning, yeah. And... Uh, like it's it's clear that they're all homeless because they um, not only need money but like they they they're complaining to each other. Man, I need some food. I'm so hungry. <laughs> and they're like filthy. Yeah. Street urchins. They're a bit street rat. Da, da. That's a song from a movie we watched recently. Street rat. Street. What is it? street rat? Street rat. Street rat. Street <laughs> rat. <laughs> No. Those are probably the lyrics. No, it's not. <laughs> I don't buy that. I steal it instead. Excuse me, lady, excuse me. My friends and I are having a problem. You see, we spent all our money at the Natural History Museum. We have to take a ferry home. Think you could help me out? I suppose. More money. Yeah, so they're just doing what they need to do to get by, which I think is such an interesting... Ah, I think it's interesting that they set it up here because... It, if you know nothing about the movie and you just go in, right? It's very obvious that these are kids, unhomed kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're like, okay, what? <laughs> like, what's gonna, what, what are they doing out here? What are they? And like later we find out like that he's run from somewhere. Yeah, but, they're all runaways. But I don't know. It's just such a, it's just such a weird way to set it up. It is. Um, but it, it's kind of weird. This, this aspect, like this first, like I don't know, ten minutes. It's only ten minutes, like, and then he gets po- he, you know, gets popped by the police mm. uh, for vandalism. But like, for some reason, I identified with like little kids out on their own in a rough part of town. You know, like just like I don't know, just in doing their thing, right? They they meet up with the, all the you know it's like it's like four kids, right? Jesse and three other kids, right? And they're, they they. St- they steal a like a banquet cake yeah, from it's a like truck. Some, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some wedding cake or something like that. They steal it and they like they 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 just like run off and find like a it's almost just, like like a skate park or something like or or like a bunch of like teenagers and kids are like congregating underneath like a bridge or something. Yeah, yeah. It feels like very a freeway much freeway like, overpass mm. and they're just chilling like it's like half skate park. There's like rap music playing and they're just like all just eating cake and just talking about life. And maybe as like a little kid, I was like, that's what grown up kids do. <laughs> but like, I don't know. It was something appealing about like, 
These are kids out on their own, doing what they want, mm. eating cake for dinner. Ugh, with their dirty, grubby hands. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> and they're, they're, I don't know, they're just, like, talking about their baggage. You know, first time I ever went there, it was so bad. My mom dropped me off and she went to work in Houston. I never saw her again. I don't care. I hate her anyway. Talk about how much they hate their moms. <laughs> And uh, the people who left them, which I think, like, yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. I just, I don't think it's a bad way, a bad start to introduce your characters, but it's not where the movie goes or stays. So it's right. like such a hard opening. And that being said, this is not the first thing you see. You just see whales. Like, oh, that's right. This we, isn't the opening of the movie. That's right. It we, jumps from like, mm, we're swimming in the ocean. We're whales. Killa, killa. Oh, no, I'm trapped. Hey, ma'am, can you give me some money? That's, that's yeah. yeah the, like the, the, the very beginning of the movie is the sequence where young Willie the whale is <laughs> is captured by by whalers out on the coast. Right. And it's like very traumatic. Mm. This whale is like crying for his mom. <laughs> and then... Hard cut. You get the you get the title of the film. Hard cut. You're out in Portland, and kids are bumming for money. Yeah. So it's just like hard to tonally. It's so confusing. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> I, I agree with you. But I, I, as far as like presenting like delinquent kids, right? Mm. Um, at first, like I, I was thinking about it really, and like I I noticed that this is not the only movie of this era that featured like. Not just like you know runaway kids or or uh, like homeless kids or anything like that, but like delinquents in general, right? Mm-hmm. What do you mean? It felt like a lot of movies in the early '90s glamorized like runaway children, yeah. delinquents, you know, like um, boxcar kids, something like that. So I was thinking of movies like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, mm. where the, the the Foot Clan or whatever it's called. Um, like the ninjas, they recruit teenagers from around the city and their hideout is this, this like arcade slash skate park slash dojo in the middle of like an abandoned building or out in the sewers. And it's just like, I don't know, as a little kid that felt like I'd like to be there. Look at all the video games I can play. They, they, They could just like skateboard all they want. What generation was making movies? Uh... I just thought it was like, oh, that's interesting. But like, who was making the movies? And I they're, wonder, they're like, pa- what? like ki- whatever kids that age, their parents. And so I thought, like, was there like, were, was there a delinquency problem in the early '90s that filmmakers were drawing on to present these situations? Right. Mm. And I did a little bit of research. I, I did some Google. I looked at some old like news reports and old numbers and stuff like that. And apparently, there was a mark, like a notable rise in delinquency. In the early 90s. And not just in the US and places like Japan and other places. They were just like listless little kids who would just get into trouble. Yeah. Like packs of gangs. Mm. Like gang activity and stuff like that. And so I I assume that the introduction of Jesse in this movie is like a ripped from the headline situation. Where like this filmmaker was like, well, how do we make this more contemporary and relatable? Well, you got a bunch of like delinquent kids out in the streets you know like they're homeless or they're you know getting into trouble let's just make make him that yeah and it's not quite glamorous you know as a little kid like i relate like i saw that as something like oh it's so cool that they just do what they want but at the same time it's not quite as like oh they've got like a secret clubhouse where they can just play 
any arcade game they want and yeah. learn and learn kung fu. <laughs> but that's what I, I that's what I noticed. That's such an interesting um thing to to notice because I think even when you say stuff like that, right, about this movie and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and I know you didn't name any other ones, but are there other ones that you can think of off the top of your head? Double Dragon? Oh, yeah. But I mean, it was apocalyptic. But still, <laughs> but still. it was the same thing. They had like yeah. little kids. And like, I'm thinking like the sets of like award shows in the early 90s and like music videos and like mm. all that, right? I felt like all of the sets for these type of shows were like underground in yeah. a warehouse. Yeah, you're right. Or in a... It was the rise of street cred. Yeah. Something, it was just like edgy and uh, un- underground. Okay. As long as you don't say urban. <laughs> Getting you know, kind of close to some of those. You know language. what I mean? Like un- underground, like rap scenes <laughs> oh. or underground, like comedy clubs or, nah. you know, just that kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. That was the aesthetic of the time. It was the aesthetic. A hundred percent. I think, right? Like when you think nineties, that's the aesthetic. Yeah. Like when you see groups that are like, oh, we're doing a ni- uh, 90 retro music video. That's the aesthetic. Yeah. And, and like, you know, um, you're seeing a rise in things like, uh, skateboarding and extreme sports and mm. uh, obviously hip hop and and like uh, like garage bands and stuff like yeah. that. I just felt I don't know. I think there was anxiety on adults of like all oh, these just like troublesome kids and tro- troublesome teenagers <laughs> having their weird underground uh gatherings. <laughs> They're obviously up to no good. That's why we're writing them into our movies. They have to recognize themselves yeah. on the screen so we can get their money. Then <laughs> I'm thinking, of, I think also of like gutter punks, you know, like that that um, subculture in like Los Angeles, right? Where uh, there, there's a really great documentary that I recommend called uh, "The Decline of Western Civilization Part 3. It's a, the third in a series <laughs> of like examinations of like musical subcultures in mm. Los Angeles. But Part Three explores gutter punks, which is runaway teenagers. Um, you know, they're they're either homeless or they're squatting in people's houses and stuff like that. And like they just like go to punk shows, smoke pot, and like don't go to work. You know, and that the 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 film is that documentary is quite touching because you like feel for these kids, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, yeah, these were issues of the time. There were runaway kids who didn't want to be in the system, but they also didn't want to go back yeah. to their homes or they didn't have anywhere to go to. So it was just like they relied on each other. Yeah. For that. And yeah. that, that is the setting of this movie, and that is the environment that our main character Jesse is in. Right. Yeah, well, I boned Oh, you bothered from Cooperton's? I did, Bonehead. Yeah, right. Shut up. We both did. What do you know? I know they watched like they're gonna stick a knife in their back. I had to wait till some stupid foster home losers took me, and then I slipped. Maybe you ain't as smart as us. Oh, eat it. I am. <laughs> it's not nice <laughs> it's not nice no see this is another one of those reasons why i was like i kids movie yeah you know where <laughs> all, all the things that you're saying like i don't know something in me wanted that this is what older kids do and it's probably because it was prevalent in media that it was something that like you were like ah, oh, that's what i'm gonna be when i'm that age but i, I think just like it's kind of sad now. Yeah, it's like really that's what sad. I mean by not nice. Like I'm sitting here listening to it. That's probably one of the reasons why I'm just like, well, we know why I don't like this movie. We're not there yet. But um, it's like, that's that's real. Like that sucks. Like mm-hmm. it just, that they're sitting there and they're talking about it and they're 
kids. They're like 10, 11, 12. Yeah. It's just a matter, just the, matter of fact for them. It's very matter of fact. And this is a kid's movie. Yeah, you know, like I watch plenty of films like this, right? Some of the stuff we're going to watch in, in the 2000s are going to deal with things like this. But this is framed as a, I, you know, and that's the thing that like, it's so dissonant. To, yes, yes. In my, I can't, oh. Right. Um, but again, like they wanted to make the main character here, Jesse, like. He's he's rough around the edges, mm. so that when he befriends the whale, <laughs> it'll melt his heart away. It'll you know? melt. It'll it'll turn his heartless. It will turn his heart of stone soft. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. All right. So anyway, um, the the movie progresses. Uh, young Jesse and his buddy, uh, other boy. Yeah, I was like uh, Percy. I have his name here written. We looked it up three times when we were watching the movie. Perry. Perry. Young Perry, made, played by Michael Bacall, who is a Bacall! he's a he's a Hollywood writer these days. But um, they wander into you don't know they get what chased a, by cops. Yeah, they're they're running from the police because the police bust up their like skate park party or whatever. <laughs> Ain't no party like a skate park party. <laughs> so they like duck the cops by like you don't know it at the time, but they sneak into the back of the sea uh, Sea World or the 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 amusement park. Yeah, right, and uh, they are in like a tool shed or something in the back room, the maintenance room, and they find spray paint. So, you know, what's a teenager who's on the run from the cops going to do? They're going to stop what they're doing and just graffiti. Yeah. That's what teenagers do, right? Uh-huh. Even when they're running from the police, they graffiti. Yeah. They just can't help themselves. They just can't help themselves, these kids. So they're they're out there uh, spraying in... They're just, you know, vandalizing this establishment, and the, the cops come in and they pop Jesse... And Perry gets away, but right. Je- Jesse—that—that's where the movie really gets started. Jesse's been popped; he's brought back to his uh, social worker, correct? And it explains that he is in big, big trouble, and he's got to make up for what he's done. Breaking and enter, malicious mischief, vandalism, resisting arrest. Anything else happen I should know about? Yeah, I robbed a few banks. Is that a problem? Yeah, I'm glad you were only out there three days, son. Sit down. Oh, did you miss me, Dwight? That is the social worker, Dwight. D. White. I don't know why he says it like that. But it's just Dwight. I mean, how do you say Daryl? Daryl. See. <laughs> D. Dwight. Anyway, he's the. Uh, he's an overworked social worker. Yep. If you know a social worker, you know they're all overworked. Does Does he seem authentic to you? Uh he has his moments. He does. I think, especially in this first scene, he's pretty authentic. He calls. He tells. He he threatens Jesse with baby jail. <laughs> you got a problem with that? Yeah, why should I have to clean it? You know, it? I don't know why I fooled around two kids in the first place. You know, I don't know why I'm working so much overtime with you. You stood out again here, and I am out of the picture. Gone. You'll be with youth authority. Court supervised and controlled. They'll put you in baby jail. That means a lockup in juvenile hall, son. Baby jail. No one wants to go to baby jail. Baby jail. Don't we know a lot of babies that have a baby jail? That little <laughs> The playpen. The playpen. <laughs> You, oh no, small child, baby jail. I was thinking of Jailbird Joey from Back to the Future. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Jailbird Joey. <laughs> Better get used to these bars, kid. Oh gosh. Um, so Dwight explains that um, Jesse is lucky this time because rather than like being put in juvenile hall, he can make up for what he's done by doing community service. Basically cleaning up the mess he made at the adventure park. Right. Now, I hate telephones. And I spent 45 minutes on a conference call with the police department and that adventure park trying to keep you clean, son. And you know what? We were lucky this time. 
I kept you a little behind out of court. You have to clean up the mess you made at Northwest Adventure Park. I, 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 that is your probation. And I kind of want to discuss his, you know, what goes on at the adventure park before we talk about his home life. Because Jesse also gets placed with a foster family. That's one of the things that, like, drives me nuts about the setup of this film, right? Where you're like, oh, he's a kid on the street. And it's like, no, no, no. He specifically ran away from this foster family. So, like, when we're about to meet them, they already have, you know, it's like a weird setup where it's just like, you ran away from because I don't. Is, no, no, no. He didn't run away from the foster family that we meet later. He's ran away from the uh, an orphanage. Him and Perry were both in an orphanage. They ran away and were gone for three days before he was about to be placed with a foster family. They talked about it in that opening scene. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They, <clears throat> that, the, the kids like you ran away from that orphanage. Like, yeah, we both did. I'm gonna Google something real quick. Continue what you're saying. What I was gonna say. I want to focus on. Who he meets at the adventure park, because that's like where the arc of the movie happens, you know, like, you know, Jesse rough around the edges, chip on his shoulder. He meets people at the adventure park and meets the whale. And that's how he learns to like, I don't know, accept who he is, um, like find something that he enjoys and something he doesn't have to like, what do you like? He doesn't have to like, he can lower his defenses, right? A safe place. Right. So, who are there? There basically there are two people. Before we talk about the whale, because uh, I want to, there are two human characters that he meets that are going to be describing the whale for us. But who does he meet that works at the adventure park? Sorry, I was just confirming to myself because I was like, there are no orphanages in the U.S. Those were disbanded in the fifties. And by the 1960s, I didn't write this movie. I'm just that's why, like, like legitimately, that's why, like, what I completely disregarded the fact that they said, "Oh, you guys ran away from that orphanage," and I was like, "Cause that's not a thing." At the most, he ran away from a group home, and Maybe like, was this is made home. in the 90s. <sighs> Writers, do you re- see? This is the problem I have with this movie. Anyway, say the thing that we're not getting there yet. <laughs> who does? Who works at the adventure park that are kind of like? friends to jesse like leggy blonde all right so the first person is a trainer named ray uh she she works with she mostly works with uh not dolphins but uh seals seals. Um, but she's like tasked with training the the orca whale willie you're like a graffiti kid aren't you i guess you really messed up our observation area sorry you like whales i like him well, he doesn't like anybody, so you be careful around him. See, Willie's a case. A very special case. So, who is it? He's a head case. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that one, we were introduced to Ray, who is kind of like, I don't know, he's like she's like the big sister to Jesse towards, you know. the Towards the end. Yeah. There was a few moments that felt a little bit like blank check, but yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> she just kiss him. Not on the lips or anything. Just on the forehead. But yeah. I was like, mm, stop. <laughs> but um, she explains Willie, the whale. Now, I think when they wrote the script or when they were developing it, the idea was we want to have this young orphan boy connect with this whale. Both are treated like outsiders mm-hmm. in their wherever, right? Uh, they're both being cooped up against their will. They don't like it. And they find connection in that. And that's why Jesse is able to connect with Willie, the whale. Right. Who's the other? Who is the other person he meets? Indigenous man. Uh, that is Randolph. Okay. I did. I learn names. Seven thousand pounds. That one. Jaws powerful enough to crush bones to oatmeal. Willie gets into moods. You got to give him his space. You know what I mean? 
Don't bother him. He won't bother you. You understand? Sure. Uh, Randolph is a the Native American groundskeeper, I guess, for the adventure park. Yeah, yeah. He lives on property. He takes care of the place. Yeah. Uh, he's like half security, half like groundskeeper, half like I don't know. The flavor. <laughs> he's just there. He's just hanging <laughs> he, out. He's he's great though. I, I love I love Randolph. <laughs> like. <laughs> His Randolph, like his house, is like the coolest house. Like they, oh, they must yeah, have yeah. that. That felt like a real dude's house. Like he just like had like trinkets and treasures everywhere. Yeah, they definitely just saw a house that was on the lake and was like, "Hey, can we pay you to film here for three days?" Right. And uh, like as a little kid, like I'm sure I would have wanted to explore Randolph's house. Um, and Randolph basically takes Jesse under his wing and like teaches him how to be respectful and. He gives Jesse way too many chances, I will say that. I feel like uh Randall is a little bit of a thug himself, so. Maybe yeah, <laughs> I don't we don't get much about Randall's backstory, but maybe he was like a troubled youth. Yeah. Uh, who, you know, uh, reformed and, you know, got on the straight and narrow and he's trying to look out for Jesse. Maybe. <laughs> that is an option. I don't know. Yeah, we don't know. We don't see hear very much of him. I have some whale facts. Well, facts. Real okay. Facts. So, Willie Willie, Willie, <laughs> the, the whale. Uh, he is portrayed by orca whale named Keiko, uh, who lived in captivity since 1979. Cool. Uh, Warner Brothers film scouts discovered Keiko at Mexico City amusement park Reno Aventura. Reno Aventura, uh, where most of the whale scenes were shot. Oh. And so we talked like when we're watching it, there were clearly scenes where I was like, "That's a puppet." Uh, yeah. <laughs> like that's a whale puppet. That's not a real whale. And apparently, like. There really weren't that many shots with a real whale. Hmm. I think like over 50% were shot with puppets and animatronics. Which, I mean, we, we clocked some of them, but we didn't clock that many right, of right. them. Right, right. So um, I have some interesting uh, facts about like how they, like the, the, the whale stand-ins is what they're called. So uh, the animatronics work for the whales uh, were done by special effects artist Walt Conti, who had recently achieved breakthrough success by creating free-swimming miniature humpback whales for Star Trek IV The Voyage Home. That's cool. That's the one with space whales. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Don't tell anyone in my family I haven't seen too many Star Treks. <laughs> it's with the original cast. Don't tell my family. <laughs> it's, it's pretty good. It's what They go back in time to present-day uh, San Francisco to learn... Basically, learn the language of the whales. So it's that, a movie? It's a movie. Oh. They learn the language of the whales so that they could speak to space whales. Fuck, dude. <laughs> that sounds... I definitely have seen that. I've, de- I've definitely seen... Nobody in our family listens to this. I, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so technicians created several smaller willies and one full-scale 22-foot willy. <laughs> Rubber-coated willy. You're definitely going to have to tag this episode. <laughs> I didn't name the movie. And I'm sh- I will say I'm sure Free Willy was the butt of many jokes on the schoolyard. Just the title alone. Oh. Yeah, very unfortunately titled Free Willy. Yeah, why did they name the doll? Why why Willy? I don't know. Why not Jethro? Why not Keiko? <laughs> Jethro. Why not Keiko? It already had a name. Free Keiko. That would have been a cool name. That would be cool. Even though I will, I would definitely be thinking about Yu Yu Hakusho the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they've got a full scale Willy out there in the Stop water. Stop it. 
And uh, yeah, for the most part, it's pretty like convincing. Yeah, no, yeah, for yeah. real. And when they did have real whales, like when they had Keiko in the movie, um, Keiko would do stunts in the movie, and uh, they would have a young, um, a young orca trainer named Justin Sherbert, who was about the size of Jesse in the movie, doing all the stunts. Oh, okay. Yep. Because we like we were like, no, nah, that's not the kid. And then we get a face shot, and it was like, I don't think they had the technology to. F- replace a f- head at the I'm sure point. I'm sure there were some stunts where uh young young Jessidud Jason James Richter was Richter. we're he just was either, gonna call him Richter <laughs> when uh, he when he was on like either the animatronic or I, I don't mm-hmm. I don't know if they would trust him to be on Keiko but no but he he must have been on an animatronic at some point yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. like the one where he's like kind of like on his knees like on the back of the whale like that had to have been the animatronic yeah that had to have been the giant willy right <laughs> Anyway, let's camp on the whale stuff for a little bit. Because um, I think that's, like I said, that's what got kids in the door. That's what kids remember is Willie the, the Whale at SeaWorld <laughs> or Adventureland or whatever Adventure it's called. Adventure time. <laughs> um, so Jess and I are residents of Southern California. Mm. Uh, both of us had visited uh, San Diego's SeaWorld a few times, right? Have you been there? Yeah. More than once? Did you, I don't know, did you have, do you have fond, fond no. memories of, of... The one memory that I have of SeaWorld is being there on a, like a fourth or fifth grade trip, which, you know, not happy years. And you, were about, you were up, you were Jesse age. And a seagull. Oh no. Hooping in my hair after we had been there for 30 minutes. Oh, sorry. And so for the rest of the day, uh. and I don't know that you understand what a little black girl's hair does Dude. around all that water. <laughs> Dude, I know you have to take a bus and stuff like that. Like, an Uber wasn't a thing yet, but I feel like if I was a teacher in that classroom, at that point, I'd be like, if your parent's not here, I'm going to, like, call them, get their permission to just drive you home. Like, that's miserable. <laughs> it was miserable because I was already made fun of uh, before that. So... That was another three to five hours. Um, well, so SeaWorld does not have a happy place in oh, my heart. I apologize. <laughs> Why did you bring it up? Uh, because Why'd I, you do it? <laughs> well, I, I also went to SeaWorld for a school trip. I went in second grade. Mm. Uh, my dad was the chaperone. Mm-hmm. And because my dad is a you know tall, strong man, I guess, the, the teacher assumed he can handle the troublest kids. <laughs> the, most, uh, the most hyper... <laughs> Troubled kids in the class. So it was me and two, the two most troublesome kids in the class. The and my dad. Oh. Uh, but it was fun. We had, we had a good time. Uh, I remember, like, my, my dad, like, like I didn't even, unprovoked, we went to his house the other day, and he had a picture from that trip. Oh, yeah. And we all bought, uh, like, plushed dolphins. Yeah. It was so cute. It's I know so cute. I also had a plush whale at some point. Were like, you going to say plush Willie? <laughs> no. I had a plush orca whale at some point, and I assume it was because of this movie. Probably. Yeah, just like hug, hug that whale. When you go to SeaWorld, it's fun. It's cool to like, unless you know you have a terrible experience. 30, it just 30 smells like in. fish. <laughs> but it was it smells for, like ocean. For me, it was cool to like go see a show and go watch Shamu Aww. do a show. Go watch the the dolphins and the seals do a show. Uh, mm-hmm. Go to like the Arctic area and see polar bears. And not po- did they have polar bears? They might have, I don't know if they had actual polar bears there, but they had like, I don't know, like polar bear represented somehow. <laughs> they just had somebody yeah. in a polar bear suit. Or go see like the little sharks <laughs> mm. and uh, like squids and things. Yeah. To me, it was cool. So, yeah. 
like, I, I, I would assume that this movie helped foster that fascination with the like, deep. Like, ooh, we can go to a world of sea. Right. Mm. Um, but just like in, at real sea, sea world, uh, this, you know, uh, it's there to, to teach kids something. So the movie teaches kids about killer whales. Does um, it? Did yeah. we learn anything? Did you learn anything about killer whales? Oh, so, no. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> well, let's hear, let's hear why they're called killer whales in the first place. Willie's a killer whale, right? So will he kill us? No. Orcas are just hunters. Most of they fish. Well, sometimes they'll eat porpoises, squid, birds. <laughs> Is that worth a giggle? No. <laughs> but I had said that before, like, when we started watching it. I was like... They are murder beasts. And the only reason you were like, do they kill humans? I was like, no, but that's only because we're unsustainable food. They're like, eh, you're not worth our time. I did look it up. There's no documented cases of a killer whale like killing a person. Not and not because it couldn't. <laughs> it could if, if prof- it could very easily, but it's just like, eh, whatever. And I think honestly, like whales in captivity are a bit more aggressive. Um, mm. because, you know, they're being held against their will in an environment that's not native to them. Right. Um, but, like, you hear weird stories of, like, people falling into the whale tank at SeaWorld, you know, or sneaking in to do who knows what, and they end up getting killed by the whale because don't swim in the whale tank when you're not trained to do yeah. so. Yeah. It's like, oh, a play thing. Because they, like, punt whole seals. They play freaking badminton they're with like, sea lions. <laughs> They're like the tomcats of the of, oh, of the ocean. Goodness. Uh, but and then uh, we learn about a uh, killer whale like family life. You know, out in the ocean, killer whales like Willie live in families, pods. Some of them spend their whole lives with their moms, and they never leave them. Never? Nope. Their social structure is really important to them. Over fifty orcas have been seen traveling together. Some of them stay together forever for their whole lives. So I think that line right there helps connect. Jesse to Willie, where it's like they spend their whole lives with their moms and they never leave them, right? Mm. And you learn you learn pretty early in the movie that Jesse's mom basically abandoned him. Man, you know? I really wish I had Jesse's mom. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had Jesse's mom. <laughs> where can you find a woman like that? Who knows? <laughs> the state. Because she ran off. The state can't find your mom. The courts oh, can't find your mom. Oh, 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 oh. That was so mean. Oh, that was mean. Why would you do that? These are the jokes that Randolph and Ray would be telling each other when oh. Jesse's not at home or oh, not at work. Oh. <laughs> no, don't make fun of orphans, guys. No, really no, no, don't. No, 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 no. Take care of them. Uh, donate to causes. Yes. Um. Anyway, sorry. But, um... We also learn about um, how whales respond to being in captivity because mm. one of the most like one of the most strange uh, like biological things that happen to orca whales and whales in captivity is their dorsal fin will just kind of flop over. Mm-hmm. You know, out in the wild, those dorsal fins are straight up, right, erect. <laughs> mm-hmm. And Willie's is flaccid. <laughs> These are technical terms. These are even scientific terms. Scientifical. But. <laughs> but is also a scientific <laughs> term. <laughs> Willie's fin is flopped over. That's what happens in captivity. Why? Nobody knows. Maybe they need more room to Jesus really swim. Jesus knows. And how come Mr. Dial won't build Willie a bigger tank? Because Dial thinks he can treat a wild animal like a commodity. And who's Dial? 
Oh, Dial is the man who owns the park, played by Michael Ironsides. And uh, uh, he's a cutthroat businessman, and he hates the whale because... The he... whale don't make him no money. Right. This is what I get for bringing the animal into Pooh's business. Why don't we just move him into the Ritz-Carlton? I can tack it on to the 5000 I just dumped in his latest insurance premium. <laughs> the whale's worth more dead than alive. <laughs> dun, dun. Oh, is this what we call poor shattering? <laughs> yes. <laughs> But the um, the the whole thing about Willie's fin is like I'm sure that was like the first time a lot of children learned that about yeah. whales. Like I, I did, it didn't sink in until I watched it as an adult. But like that's legit, and I know that that um, that documentary was a Blackfish came out, you know, maybe yeah, a, a decade I think so. ago or so, yeah, 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 and that helped like you know uh, educate a lot of people on like whales in captivity and like what is appropriate for them, what's needed, what's healthy, and like. Mm. Um, yeah, like, whales were mistreated at these sea parks. Yeah, they were. Yep, yep. Um, so, like, there's a lot of ethical questions about, like, having a whale at, like, a show, you know, where the tank is too small and the people who own the parks clearly don't care. Mm. Um, and yeah, like, the, the Dial character, the guy who owns the park, is kind of, like, a cartoonish villain. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, I'm pretty sure, like, that's what... You know what it was like to run a corporation that ran freaking SeaWorld. Yeah, it's, he's definitely realistic. <laughs> I have heard reports though that like they've made like the bigger parks have made significant changes to the way that they operate, the way they take care of their their animals and their whales. And apparently, there are killer whales in a ca- in captivity today where their their fins are straight up; oh. they aren't flopped over. So that's I think that's a good sign. But maybe I hope they're treating their animals. We humanely. don't know. <laughs> That's all I can say. This is just hearsay. But mm. yeah. I... <laughs> it's like so much information, but also stuff that like as a layman, you wouldn't know. They could tell you anything about it, right? Like yeah. we don't have to. A, a free, bolt. free Willie's lying to us. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's the case, but no. it could be. But that is the crux of the movie. Mm-hmm. Jesse goes to work at the adventure park. He pays off his debt to society and he befriends a whale and the people around the whale and he learns to love again, <laughs> I guess. He learns to put his trust in something, I guess. He learns to, like, develop a skill and have confidence in himself. Yeah. It's... Because he has to, like, basically prove to Dial, the owner of the park, that he can train Willie to perform a show in front of people. And, like, they develop a whole routine, and it's a big montage, and Jesse has to have confidence in himself that he can make it happen. And things don't go well, and he has a, you know, crisis of confidence. Yeah. You know what, though? I think that's... Even as you're saying... Something that's really weird is that, like, they just have this kid train him, and then, like, go in... Like we said, he's, like, 10, 11, 12. He's 12. I don't know what the work law, the child labor laws are like in... Organ, but that that would no. They, they, they could get their license re- yeah. licenses revoked. Yeah, yeah. Just hey, but then you wouldn't have a movie. Eh, fair, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but uh, let's transition over to the other side of the plot. I guess you'd call it the B plot. Jesse's home life, because as we mentioned, he's while he's do you know developing this relationship with Willie, he's also you know learning to live with a new foster family. Mm-hmm. Okay, look, your placement is still on. The Greenwoods are okay. They don't even care about this incident. What's wrong with them? Oh, I see. Because they want you in their home, there's got to be something wrong with it, right? What do you think? 
I think that on paper you're still real young, so you get some chances. Not an infinite number of chances, but a few. A few, son. You get it? I think here you have the floor, because I know you have many thoughts about the way the foster system is presented in this movie. Yeah, so I, I also think there's a lot of stuff. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to say everything. But, like, I, I, I want to say it's inaccurate to say that Jesse is an orphan, right? They say state many times that his mom is out there somewhere, right? It's more accurate to say that he is a ward of the state or he is uh, in the system, in the foster system. Okay. And that comes with a lot of stuff, right? Like, even just seeing at the beginning just a group of kids who have run away from whatever situation that they had been put in, that is very realistic. It is. I don't have a problem with that. I think my main problem with it is that this this is the B-plot of the movie. Yeah. So there's not really time given to it or, like, the appropriate amount of thought, I guess, right? I have no problem with the, well, okay, I have plenty of problems with the, <laughs> the A plot, but like they don't, it doesn't, these two things could have, you pointed it out, right? Like these two things could have been a much better foil for each other, right? The things you were talking about, I was thinking about how a lot of this is about found family and about yeah. making a home where you're at with whatever that looks like and building a community. And I don't think for the most part, these two plots mesh or hit in ways that they should right. or that they could especially to make this. Especially at the end. Especially at the end. We'll get to it. But um, I think first and foremost, I think that one of the things that the, the um, social worker, Dwight. Dwight <laughs> thank God for Dwight Eisenhower. <laughs> <laughs> thank God for White Eisenhower. <laughs> um. There are some moments where he hits and there are some moments where he doesn't, right? Like he is, for all intents and purposes, standing in the place of like being a... Um, Mentor? No, a vomit unit for oh. what the... what is Not prose. I can't think of what's the other word when you're like... The exposition? Yes. He's like exposition vomit of what... Uh, the system is and what it is. He does say a line in that thing that you just, the clip that you just played where it says, on paper, you're still very young. And I think that's an excellent line that says a lot, right? Like that he's 12, which is young. young. Like any of you kids who have children out there, you know that like your 12 year old's annoying, but young. And this just kind of thing that we're like on paper and legitimately, biologically, you were 12, but the lifetimes you've had to live in this lifetime makes you more wary, more wise, more able to think through situations, but also more able to uh, damage situations, right? Like yes. Because you can see uh, that human nature is not always <laughs> right. the best when you've been shuffled around a lot, and um, or even a little shuffled around. But my main problem with this movie is the foster parents. Okay, so let me introduce those foster parents. So the foster parents are the Greenwoods. You mentioned that before. That is Annie and Glenn Greenwood. So you're introduced to them. Uh, Dwight drops Jesse off at their home. Their gorgeous home their house in freaking is so Oregon. Pretty. It's like right on the water. It's like, I'm like, I'd, I don't know if I'd live there. I would. It's probably wet, probably rains a lot, but like, I'm okay with that. When it's not, it's gorgeous. Like this movie is beautiful yes. to look at as far as scenery goes. They but got um, a, a cinematographer who also directed. <laughs> right. So the um, you're introduced to them, and and can you describe 
Let's save Glenn for a second. Can you describe Annie first? She's typical, like, 80s mom. You know, she's nice, sweet, calm, comforting, not quiet, but gentle. She's very, like... She's here. W- welcoming and warm oh, to Jesse. Yes. I feel like she she wants to make this work as much as possible. Yes. And I think, like, there's a scene where... So they walk into the house and she gives... She, she They have, like, gifts laid out for him. Like, new clothes. Freaking Air Jordans are there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and so she's just, like, describing, you know, hey, I got all this stuff for you. I'm trying to make this as comfortable for you as possible. Living with, you know, having you live here with us. Uh, I... I bought you some things, um, some clothes, some uh, socks, and uh, there's lots of blue. Dwight said you like blue. And you can tell this is the first time she's done this. Yeah. She's new to this. She's never been a mom before. Yeah. But she's trying. She's trying. She's excited. She uh, is engaging. She's doing her best in a situation that has no other option but to be awkward. And she, like, tries to, like, you know, ha- she tries to get to know him, like, see what mm. he's into. Like, oh, do you like computers, Jesse? No. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> but, oh, well, uh, you know, she's just, I don't know, just sharing about her life and trying to get him to open she's up a little present. bit. She's present. Yes. Yeah. Despite his um, obvious kind of, like, trying to enforce a distance. Right. On the other hand, you have Glenn. Can you describe Glenn for us? Played by Michael Madsen. Glenn's the worst, and that's all the explanation I have. So <laughs> I'm going to play a clip from a scene where Dwight is dropping Jesse off, and he tells, uh, he tells Glenn, Just play it. Hey, we need, to, you know, we, we need to sign some paperwork. Well, Glenn got a little paperwork here for you. Always got to have the paperwork. You know, I bought a new car recently, man, with the contracts and all, came to 37 pages. Well, this is a lease. I ain't buying yet. This is a lease. I ain't buying yet. Referring to the child. Yep. That he just brought into his home. Yep. And the fury that is making my blood shiver right now, kids. Like, excuse me? Excuse me? And here's the problem. That is very realistic of some foster parents. There are people that are only in it for the money. There are people that are like, well, we're just going to um, bring kids in until we find the one that's right for us and discard the ones that aren't. It is a world of ugly, which is why I appreciate the the scene just before this where Dwight says, you're still young on paper. And then you get this, right? Like, yeah, Jesse wasn't here to hear this moment. But if you think this is the only time this trash fire of a man <laughs> says something like this, you would be wrong. And this is the thing that like the foster system's not perfect. Like, Real, real life foster foster system, not like outside of this movie. If you live in America, we have a system of foster that is in place, uh, is in place for children who are not able to be raised by their families. Every state has different standards and practices. So this is not a federally regulated thing as much as it's a state regulated thing. And people suck. Lawmakers suck. Prospective parents suck. Uh, and there are good ones in all of those things. And I wish there was more good than there aren't, but I know I'm just saying nothing right now. I'm just saying this made me very angry because a a great brunt of this movie is anytime we're seeing the home life is 
Jesse feeling like, oh, well, I don't want to belong here and blah, blah, blah. And then Anne trying, you know, like being present and doing all these things and Glenn clearly doing a half-hearted job and only really even pretending to participate because his wife is making him. That That's to like that clip I just played. That's the thing that like came to my mind, right? It's clear from that exchange that Annie's the one who really wants to do this. Glenn is like not into it. But, like you can tell he really does not want to do this. And like he's just saying, fine, Annie, do what you want, right? It's yeah. almost like they didn't talk about it beforehand. <clears throat> like he's he didn't tell her, I don't think this is a good idea for whatever reason. I don't know what his reasoning is for, you know, going through with it. But it's clear Annie and Glenn did not talk about this, did not come to an agreement or a consensus on what the best approach will be. It's more like Glenn is just like distant and just like, this is Annie's project. Like not, I I don't have to deal with it. And I will say, unfortunately, that is also a thing that is uh, true to life. There are some foster parents that are like a foster parent that is married to someone who doesn't want to be a foster parent. So they are essentially raising the kid in their home alone. They are single parenting because the other parent does not want to be a part of it. And that's a real thing. That's a real phenomenon. Yep. And it just makes me not happy. Not because these things are true, but because because they put this as a portion of Jesse's character, I would hope that they would treat it with respect. Yeah. Which they don't. So there are so many other scenes that like completely ignore the fact that this is a foster child, a person who is living away from their mother, whom they want to be reunited with, and whom is in the care of people he doesn't necessarily feel the most safe or um, comfortable with. And so there are so many things like that that does to a person, but especially a child, that all the... There's so many other scenes. Okay, there's literally... I know we... I didn't... We don't have a... (sighs) There's a scene where um, Jesse falls into the tank. He does it several he, he, times. He runs away from home. He runs, yeah, and he's like, it's nighttime, and he's like chilling with the the snake. What is it? The whale. whale. <laughs> and he falls in, and Randall gets him out, and he like they go to Randall's place to get him dry off. And this child who has been in several homes is just shirtless in another in a man's house whom he's met twice and who we've seen not have great conversations with and so me being me with the understanding that i have is like absolutely freaking lutely not like i don't care like i don't care what this care this this child would not know just know and so it's things like that that just start to like build on like it takes me out of it and then it's also like if you were gonna do this why would you why would you not like Put the time in. Put the, Put the time in, in yeah. right? Like, because even if you had kept something like that with him being like, uh, you know, like, yeah, he's a a kid of the streets and he's going to be like, there are still moments of vulnerability and, and things like that could be reflected in the same way that Willie stays down below, doesn't react to um, Ray when she's trying to train him or do different things like, oh, I'm trying to be a safe person, but Willie doesn't feel safe. This could have been a perfect moment to foil that. Yeah. But also just kind of like the belittling. I just hate the, the the thought like, oh, we're just going to give him a sob story. So this is what it is. But not like honoring that, like, no, this is a thing that real people deal with and right. that you're not 
portraying it. <laughs> yes. I was going to say, after he falls in the tank and Randolph, like, you know, rescues him, brings him in the house to, like, you know, help him dry off and get warm, uh, Randolph then drives him back to the Greenwoods house. And the Greenwoods, like, run out, like, Jesse, where have you been? And, like, it's kind of just brushed away. Like, he ran away from home and almost died. And, like, it's just kind of like they're surprised and concerned, but it's, like, not like, I don't know. There's no urgency. Yeah. <laughs> it's. It's a little weird. Your your kid Awald. Your kid Awald. Like you should have. Like if they it were almost worried, died. It almost died. But like there should have been cops. The social worker should have been called. The social worker should have been there, because this is. Yes. <sighs> Randolph, <laughs> there are protocols. Ra- Ra- Randolph should have had to fill out a form or something. Yeah. <laughs> Always got to have the paperwork. <laughs> uh, but you mentioned way earlier in that conversation about how some foster parents like are just in it for the money. The movie does acknowledge that. Mm. See how much they pay me to be my jailer. The jailer, huh? Yeah, boy, I'm making such a great deal on you, you wouldn't believe it. You're a regular cash cow, kid. That plus a million dollars, I could probably retire by the time I'm 300 years old. The problem I have with this scene is that he's joking and they're trying to make this character seem like, oh, look, he's trying to, like, be buddy-buddy with the... You don't joke about the money you were making off of a kid. Like, you think he just threw that out? No. No. That's the thing. He's, like, Glenn is not a good person. No. He's, like, a sarcastic, like, jerk for most of the movie. And, like, I guess in a way they're trying to present Glenn as he's also going through a character arc where he's, like, learning to... I don't know, soften up around Jesse as well and, like, get in on this, you know? Like, they don't do that well. They do it off. It's awful, yeah. They don't. He, he's got the worst arc in the movie. <laughs> At the it, very end of the movie, like, he's like, don't touch my son. Like, that's with, that's him That's him overcoming his character flaws and, like, growing is him learning to call Jesse his son it's, when it's, like, unearned in every way. Every way. Uh, but, I hate this character so much. Yeah. I was having a conversation with a friend just the other day about, like, because he, he's, you know, moving out of state. We we're just talking about, um, you know, just, like, life stuff. And um, and we were talking, like, our, the conversation moved to the foster system. And, like, he said that he had attended a virtual, like, I don't know if it was a town hall or some kind of, like, seminar for, for prospective foster parents, right. right? And so he's he's in there with the group of, like, prospective foster parents and like there's a moment for q a so like do we have any questions before we proceed like the first three people asked how much money do we get it was like the first thing asked is how much money do we get for fostering the kid not i don't know not real questions about like yeah child safety or like you know what do we need in the home to make sure the kid is safe what 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 you know psychological uh what psychologically can we do to help make this process easier for them nope how much money do we get and it's like, yeah, man, the foster system really is that cynical. It makes me so angry. It makes me so angry. Because there are people who do it for, like, good re- Like, we want to foster. We want to adopt. Like, that's, we want to foster to adopt. <laughs> like, that is a goal of ours. And we know that that is knowing how hurt people are and how hurt children are, especially yeah. in the system. Like, that's not an easy job. That is not something that you should go into thinking about anything other than the children. Right. Right. Like, because that's what it's about. And I just, and there are so many people who do it for that reason, who do it because they want to be parents and they want to be parents to people, to 
two kids who want a family that want even, you know, but there's so many more that are just in it for the money that are just in it, that, that are, are bad, that are abusive, that are toxic, that kids can at the, by the age of three be in four to seven to 10 different homes. So when they get to a good one, they're so broken and destroyed that like, they're already like preparing to be kicked out again. Yeah. You know, like it's so hard for the people who are going in it for the the right reasons because there's so much chaff. <laughs> Oof, that's rough. Was there anything in the movie where Glenn, you, you said to yourself, that's a good thing that Glenn did. Like he's trying or he, he did good there. He might have, but I was just disgusted by him for most of it. <laughs> so there was like not a single moment that I was like, yeah, like – he came home yell. No, no, he did nothing good. He did zero good things. That thing that they tried to make good. We need to start wrapping this up. The ending. <laughs> hold, on, hold on, hold on, before that. Uh, there's one, there's a moment where he like basically tells Jesse, hey, come play catch with me, right? Like Glenn is like, come do <laughs> sort of like, hey kid, come do something that I enjoy with me, yeah, right? With like, right. yeah, that's, that's a little lame. But like they, they're playing catch and Glenn uses that as a, an opportunity to kind of like ask Jesse some questions, get to know him a little bit and like, I don't know, come up, establish some boundaries. And I felt like this conversation edges on, okay, Glenn, this was a good decision you've made, or th- this was a good approach. Okay. Dwight says that I am supposed to make some rules for you. And uh problem is I've always been a better rule breaker than a rule maker myself. And uh, so you're going to have to tell me what you think you need. You're asking me. Yeah, well, you're the big expert, right? I don't know any rules. Oh, come on. Kid like you, been around, been in trouble. What's it going to be? Okay. First rule is uh, you have to give me an allowance every week. And Glenn pulls out a 20 and hands it to him or whatever. Yeah. And I was like, I was like that, right? I felt like that was, that's a small little win for Glenn. You can feel all you want. (laughs) You disagree? Yep. But that's because I hate him. Because, right, like, it's again, I'm not saying, I can see what they were trying to do. Yeah. And I can see that these, this could have been good. Had he not started off this conversation by, yeah, you're a cash cow. And then said, someone else says I should make rules for you. Again, reaffirming that none of this is something that he wants Mm, to do mm. or be participating in. But he must be told that this is what he has to do. This is your portion of the pro- the group project. Get it done. It's literally mm. the least amount of thing. And you still have someone else do the work because you're making the kid. And that is a good thing, right? If you're going to set boundaries, you should like talk to your child to see like what, what makes sense and like what are we going to be able to agree on so that you can feel like you are empowered in this situation, but we are also making sure that you're safe. It's wrapped in... Bull. <laughs> and that's my problem. No. To me, like, I get what you're saying. You 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 have you make a great point. To me, it, it sounded like, you know, the kind of like the teacher who's gonna like turn his chair around and sit in it backwards. It's like, let me level with you, kid. <laughs> it's I, I see where you're coming from. You've you've got a good interpretation. Yes, of that. yes, I see what the writers were trying to do. Right. Unfortunately. <laughs> it's Glenn. Let, let's discuss the worst thing that Glenn does, which is start an argument with Annie while the kid's in the house. <sighs> How do you like that? Just when you think you're starting to get through, starting to make some sense, starting to make a connection, whammo. Well, he's scared and he's pushing us away. Well, 
I'd like to give him a push right out the door. Hey, don't say things like that. What's the matter? Does that make you angry? Yes, it makes me angry. It didn't help that you used that tone of voice with him when he came in the door. He's driving me crazy. You Look know why you're really doing. angry? No, why you am I really angry? You want to know why? Because yeah. you have feelings for him. And that scares you because he reminds you of yourself. I don't know if that's true, Annie. <laughs> so it feels like the movie is trying to, like... Say this, like, see, the reason it's like this because they're so so, so similar. They're so similar, and he's gonna be a good dad. He's just like not falling into it because he's he's movable. scared of that love. <laughs> also, can I say before she said that line, I felt like this was like their kink, <laughs> like how they were screaming at each other, like, "Yeah, I'm mad." Like, Ew. are they about to free Willie? <laughs> no joke. You don't. You don't yell. You don't have a fight with the kid in the house. Like that that's like like a bad decision. I, yeah, I honestly right again, we're not parents. There are some things that I've, I've heard my parents fight, right? Which is what I would hope to not to do, you know. I think it's important for kids to know that there's tension. Like don't pretend your marriage is is perfect, but um not with a volatile kid. Literally or- yeah, but in the situation where he you we don't know his background. We don't know what he like what triggers what him. triggers him we don't know what kind of things he's been in what this might make him think oh no they're gonna get like one of them they're gonna start fighting one of them's gonna get hit someone's gonna come up here and beat me or i need like you don't know you know nothing about this kid we don't know anything about this kid so you're one stupid bad two if you're going to fight don't fight about the child yeah so that With they him can- in earshot like you were, there was. They were on the first floor. The kid was on like the the second or third. The balcony. The, like so, you did not need to scream that fight. Yeah, Th- that's not the end of the fight. I got another clip, and this one's even worse. Okay, we tried. We did the best we could do. It doesn't have to be any more than that. What is this? Another one of your crusades? This is not a crusade, Glenn. We're talking about a human being. Annie, I'm happy. Just you and me. <laughs> That drove me crazy. I'm happy, just you and me. I'm like, why would you say that in the house? Glenn, let's go down to the orca pool at night. (laughs) Have a fight with Keiko. (laughs) Let's just put you in there. (laughs) I hate this character. So, yeah, like this is the scene where, you know, Jesse lashes out. He throws a baseball through the window. It's the end of Act 2 where all the characters are at their lowest. And I'm like, yeah, man, that was like... It was like, you can't come back from that. Glenn. No, <laughs> you can't come back from that. No. By like having, having the young boy hear you say, I'd rather him not be here. And it just be you and me, honey. Like, that's awful. I hate him. I have nothing to say. <laughs> I just, I like, I remember when we were watching this, I just slowly got more and more energy sapped from me. And by the time it was over, I went to sleep. Because I just felt so angry. And I'm feeling that way again. I was like, oh man, we shouldn't have started with this segment. Because I'm so <laughs> tired already of him and his just long beeps. <laughs> uh, one could say that uh, Glenn has a bad case of the dad guilt. <laughs> oh man, but that, I mean, it's quite a roller coaster of emotion, Free Willy. And uh, the last act of the movie is they decide they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna steal the whale, free him from his tank, and send him out into the ocean. We're gonna steal the whale of independence. They're gonna free. <laughs> <laughs> this should have just been a whole heist movie. That would have been a lot more fun, right? But like, 
Man, I, I I don't even know if we have time to talk about the last act of the movie. I feel like, you know, hey, if you, you're interested, you can go watch it. But, like, they break several laws freeing this whale. And it's an empowering moment. He's like, yeah, we want to save this whale. We're going to save his life. Except I was distracted the whole time because I was like, your child has already escaped one charge. Do you think the rich man who was trying to kill this whale for insurance money is not going to press charges? Your child is going to juvie. Oh, yeah. Your child is going to... What? And, like, I feel like the Greenwoods for aiding and abetting the... Like, some kind of grand larceny, right? Yes! (laughs) They're gonna... Whale larceny! (laughs) They're gonna get... They're gonna get charged uh, just as bad... Uh, they're, they're probably like, even if Jesse doesn't go to juvie, like they're not going to, the system's not going to let him stay with the Greenwoods after they assisted him in committing several crimes. Several. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, it's a very, we were very frustrated by the end of watching this movie. Uh, I will say that. And, uh, yeah, (laughs) I think, I think that's free Willie because at the end of the movie, it's all happy. Glenn calls Jesse, his son, the whale jumps over Jesse and the cove. (laughs) Like into the ocean, and he's Michael free. Jackson plays a song. Michael Jackson plays a song. Happy fairy book ending. I never want to watch this again. <laughs> I don't think I want to either. So that's not a recommend from you, I presume. No. You know what? I think I also don't recommend it unless you have nostalgia for it, and then you can maybe watch it and form your own opinion on it. But yeah, I, I don't think I recommend this for anybody. No. Children, adults, no. No. I wouldn't even let whales watch this. I wish there was a better whale movie out there for kids, you know? House Flipper. I don't think I've ever seen it. I don't, I don't know. I'm just saying, hey, Hollywood, get your act together. Make a better whale movie for kids. No, because then we'll have more captivity. I feel like they could... The Pixar. Pixar, make a whale movie. Yeah, it was like Finding Nemo, you know, like wild animal. You more know, whales. Wild, wild whales. There's, there's whales in, in Finding Nemo. I said more whales. There's uh, one whale. <laughs> There's like a documentaries, Big Blue Earth or something. Yeah, the National Nat, Nat Geo National Geographic <laughs> documentaries. Anyway, yeah, that is that is not a recommend from either of us. But no, let's see how this movie did, critic wise. Free Willy was one of 1993's biggest sleeper hits, grossing 153.6 million dollars against a 20 million dollar budget. It made its budget back sevenfold. Ugh. Uh, the film also received a warm critical reception. The Washington Post, in fact, called it, quote, the kids' movie of the season. Why? <laughs> what was what for kids? But for how? Why? Washington Post? But for how come? Why? <laughs> Entertainment Weekly said the movie floats along on Willie's boisterous animal magnetism, but its human drama is only serviceable. It's not even serviceable! Actor Jason James Richter, who played Jesse, received particular praise for his performance. And the film was nominated at the Youth in Film Awards, the Kids' Choice Awards, and the MTV Movie Awards. At that latter ceremony, James Richter and Willie were also nominated for Best Kiss. <laughs> the 90s were weird. MTV, you're weird. Uh, MTV, you always knew we, you were weird, but... Uh. All right, Free Willie also won Best Feature Film at the Environmental Media Awards and at the Humane Society of the United States Genesis Awards. So both related to like converse, uh, conservation efforts. Right. Like environmental movies about environmentalism and yeah. stuff like that. So I think its message was appreci- appreciated at the time, at least on the whale side of things. <laughs> That's it. Deep exhale. <laughs> this movie has made me so tired. <laughs> oh. All right. And what about Free Willy's Legacy? 
Free Willy spawned two direct sequels. Free Willy 2, The Adventure Home in 1995, and Free Willy 3, The Rescue in 1997. There were more movies? Both those films featured Jason James Richter as Jesse and August Schellenberg as Randolph. So they were legit sequels released in theaters. I never saw them. In fact, I remember um, a kid told me in preschool, like I, I was a big fan of Free Willy, right? Mm. And a kid told me in preschool, hey, they made another one. Do you, like, I, maybe it was like, I have it on tape. Do you want to watch it? And I was like, no. <laughs> like even then, like... <laughs> because I, maybe, you knew that it was a crap movie even then. Yeah, I was like, I don't know. Somehow deep down inside in my child's heart, I knew that it was like a shameless cash grab. You know? <laughs> There's probably less like foster home stuff in the second one i assume i I bet it's just more whales and like just a dumb adventure plot yeah yeah i don't know i don't know man and (laughs) and in 2010 no a direct-to-video standalone sequel was released called free willy escape from pirate cove it's got like a whole new cast i mean obviously 2010. Yeah, it looks like hot garbage. It looks like something from the Disney Channel. Oh, <laughs> horse sense, but with whales. Airbud, but with whales. So if you've seen Free Willy Escape from Pirate Cove, let us know. Is it any good? We're not watching it, whether it's good or not. I, I doubt we will, but we want to know your opinion. But that's not the only legacy of Free Willy. We need to talk about the fate of Keiko, because it is quite a quite an interesting tale. Lay it on me, bud. At some point before 1995, one Michael Jackson, whose song Will You Be There served as uh, Free Willy's theme song, sent representatives of Reino Aventura in Mexico hoping to acquire Keiko for his Neverland ranch. Michael! <laughs> Part of me wants to think that's a tall tale fabricated by, like, oh, yeah. the, the tabloids. The ra- yeah. Like, the ragzines. Yeah, it's just another wild Michael Jackson story, but, like, part of me's, like, not surprised. I yeah, I could believe it if it were true, but I'm Yeah, I don't know, man. Anyway, the success of the film inspired a letter writing campaign by fans to get Keiko released from his captivity as an attraction in Mexico City, prompting the free Keiko movement. Donations from Warner Brothers and uh, cell phone tycoon Greg McCaw led to the establishment of the Free Willy Keiko Foundation in February 1995. With donations from the foundation and millions of schoolchildren, the Oregon Coast Aquarium in Newport, Oregon, was given over $7 million to construct facilities to rehabilitate Keiko to health with the hope of eventually returning him to the wild. They were going to free Keiko. How'd that go? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Keiko performed for the public for the last time in 1996 in Mexico and was subsequently UPSed to Oregon. Okay. UPS specifically flew him air. <laughs> like they okay. they built him a special tank to be put in one of their their aircrafts to be flown from Mexico to Oregon. I feel like I hope the it was pressure, next day. Air. I I feel like the pressure of being. I don't know, man. UPS coming through. <laughs> okay. I, man, I I would have loved to be on the ramp that day. <laughs> that would have been wild. <laughs> Like, there's a whale! Keiko! Yeah, dude, like, knowing knowing some of the, uh, type, the type of people who work on the ramp at UPS, like, that would have been a very strange experience. <laughs> anyway, the process of preparing Keiko for the wild began in 1998, when he was flown to Iceland to undergo training designed to prepare him for his eventual release, including supervised swims in the open ocean. He just went all out. He was just in the air. 
Just flying everywhere. <laughs> Keiko was fully free by the summer of 2002 Ooh. and departed Icelandic waters in early August following a pod of killer whales, though he never did fully integrate into the pod. Mm. Like, there were stories that, like, whenever he saw humans, like, human activity, boats, fishermen, scientists, he would just, like, I'm going over there. He would just, like, I'm, I'm going over there. They're going to feed me. And all this stuff. is like, that's what happens when you have a, a whale in a captivity for 25 yeah. years. Like, what? You're easy food givers. Yeah. I get that. Oh, he... Keiko, uh, Keiko occasionally approached groups of wild killer whales, but remained on the periphery. He, his journey was tracked via the signal uh, from a VHF tag attached to his dorsal fin. About a month later, he arrived in the waters of Norway, apparently seeking contact with human beings for food and company, and he allowed children to ride on his back. Oh. That would have been weird, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, Keiko unfortunately passed away in Taknes Bay, Norway, while swimming in the fjords on, De on December 12, 2003, at about 27 years of age. Pneumonia was determined his probable cause of death. He was only free for a year. Yep. Uh, reasons cited for Keiko's failure to adapt include his early age at capture... The long history of captivity, prolonged lack of contact with other orcas, and strong bonds with humans. So, I mean, all those reasons make sense. Yeah, I would say most historians would consider the Free Keiko movement a failure. So, uh, sorry to bum you out, everybody. But the movie already bummed me out, so take it. <laughs> <laughs> but that, my friends, is Free Willy. We're done. We're done with Free Willy. Good. We're going to close out with that Michael Jackson song, and uh, we will be back. After the break with Jess's movie of 1993. It's don't, worse. Don't expect high things. A three-ton captive whale. A 12-year-old street kid. Looks like Willie's got himself a soulmate. A friendship you could never imagine. They tried to kill him. Let's free Willie. An adventure you will never forget. Free Willie. How far would you go for a friend? Go, I go. Free Willie. On the farm is kind of laid back Ain't much an old country boy like me can't hack It's early to rise, early in the sack Thank God I'm a country boy Well, a simple kind of life never did me no harm Raising me a family and working on the farm My days are all filled with an easy country charm Thank God I'm a country boy Well, I got me a fine wife I got me old fiddle When the sun's coming up I got cakes on the griddle And life ain't nothing but a funny, funny riddle Thank God I'm a country boy When the work's all done Coming back in with Thank God I'm a Country Boy by John Denver. Goodness. <laughs> you know, I'm not a big fan of country, but like this song is so old and like traditional 
that I'm I, like I don't know. It's, it seems it's like a fun, stupid song to me. <laughs> like okay, it's like square dance song. I don't know. Like traditional, he said. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't sound like the freaking pop country that you hear on the radio today. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so th- I will under I will exp- we will explain it all on why we're talking about or why we came in with John Denver. Yes, explain it to me. I was in, not in, in, you to this in a moment. In a moment. Um, I will say, uh, we got pretty deep in that last segment. Uh, we discussed some very deep topics. We got upset about the portrayal of uh, some, you know, societal systems and, and stuff like that. In this segment, we're just going to get mad about a bad movie. It's <laughs> <laughs> just a dumb movie. Yeah. This movie's dumb. This movie is. And I hate it. Tell me how you really feel, love. <laughs> what is that movie? Here we go. Uh, released. July 2nd, 1993, starring Carla Gugino, Lane Smith, Cindy Pickett, Tiffany Thiessen, and Pauly Shore. Directed by Steve Rash, we have Son-in-Law. Middle America, ripping the fields. Getting barrel pipeline. Sorry, I just get really excited. Just never been here before. Middle America. See, but you're doing the same motions. Look, it's imprinted itself into your mind. All right, so that was the voice of the incomparable Pauly Shore. This is a Pauly Shore joint. <laughs> I had to get a clip that had some Pauly Shore-isms. You know? <laughs> he doesn't say, hey, buddy, in Not this in movie. this one. No, but if, you, you, if you've heard Pauly Shore's voice, you know Pauly Shore. That's very true. <laughs> I didn't even know Pauly Shore's, like, who Pauly Shore was until we watched this movie. I was like, that's Pauly Shore, and I realized that he's the voice of the weird nerd guy from Goof Goofy Troop? Movie. Yeah. Yeah. But you didn't know Pauly Shore. Yeah, what man. kind of life did you live? A sad one. This movie was a shock to my system, man. You told me, hey, my movie is Son-in-Law. And I was like, I don't know what that is. I've never heard of that. Like, oh, buddy. You're in for such a, a treat. And were you in for a treat? It was a painful experience. <laughs> I was on the floor several times, like, just w- with frustration. This is very true. He the, fell off the, the plotting, the characters, the humor, the writing. It's terrible. Ah. <laughs> Why did you subject me to this? Because I watched this movie a lot growing up. Where? On TV. I didn't have any VHSs. It was whatever came up on uh, HBO or whatnot. Oh. oh, this seems like an HBO movie. Like it's just cheap enough to just like <laughs> put on repeat on HBO. <laughs> I, yeah, it's, you know, it's got, it's got a charm. Does it? Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. This movie just frustrates me to heck. Like, and uh, yeah, man, I, I had never seen it. Watched it with you. And, and loved it. it. Oh, this is the worst movie you've ever made me watch. <laughs> this, this is it right here. This this movie's awful. You keep saying that, but I know there are other movies that you've fallen off the couch for. This one's worse than those. Mm. It's worse than Teen Beach Movie. So we can rewatch Teen Beach Movie. I don't want to rewatch either of them, but it's <laughs> it's worse than that. Mm-hmm. Fine, fine, fine. And I feel like we could just get into the making of it. Let's do get, it. Get this miserable experience over with. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so. The story of Son-in-Law is the story of Pauly Shore. Everybody say cheesy. Cheesy. Everybody say cheesy. Cheesy. Leaning Tower of Cheesa. <laughs> okay, Paul Montgomery Shore. 
was born February 1st, 1968 to Mitzi and Sammy Shore, co-founders of the Comedy Store Comedy Club in Los Angeles. Oh, wow. He was a comedy boy. Huh. I mean, the comedy house. The comedy store. Sorry. The comedy store is a pretty, like... It's it's a well known establishment. It's a very well known establishment. Yeah, so he was he was born to be a comedian. He was born into a family of comedians. Yes, <laughs> I'm just saying it was in his blood. Mm. It was his birthright. Um, encouraged by encouraged to do so by his parents, young Paul or Paulie began performing stand up at the age of 17. Uh, throughout his early career, he developed his iconic weasel pers- persona. That's the yeah the voice, uh, which made use of. Surfer parlance, dude speak slang, and the catchphrase. Hello? No. <laughs> Booty? No. Parcheesy? Buddy? That one. <laughs> hey, buddy. Oh. <laughs> huh, so you're saying there's Polly Shore stand up out there somewhere? Yes, I assume a lot of it. Is it good? I don't know. Mm. You tell me. I don't know. Um, I, I so the the surfer thing, like the 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 weasel voice, right? Mm-hmm. Like we talked about when we talked about Buffy the Vampire Slayer in our '92 movies episode. TV. We talked about oh, movies. Yeah, we talked <laughs> about um, the the Valley Girl. Yeah, archetype. Right, right, right. And how popular it was at the time. I think Polly Shore was just doing the male version of the Valley Girl. Yeah, the, the like sur- the Californian surfer. Yeah, dude, speak. Yeah, yeah. What's up, dude? Let's go catch some waves, man. Let's. What, how did he say? Eat food. Munch on some grindage. Grindage. Munch on some grindage, dude. I don't think I've ever heard that phrase spoken like, what in does real that life. Mean? <laughs> <laughs> but that is what was going on. Yeah. Uh, just just riding the wave of California culture of the early nineties. Is like, the comedy ladies. store in California? No, yeah, it's it was not. L.A. Yeah. Is it? Mm-hmm. Okay, I believe you. <laughs> Uh, Shore began working as an MTV VJ in 1989 and starred in his own MTV program, Totally Polly, in 1990. Ooh, okay. How old was he by then? He was born in 63? He was 20, 22, 20, 23. Okay. Polly brought his weasel character to the big screen in 1992 with the teen comedy... Incendo Man. Encino Man. Yeah. Uh, which also starred... Uh, Brendan Fraser. A young Brendan Fraser um, as a caveman. Yeah. Uh, Encino Man was produced by Walt Disney Studios as part of the Hollywood Studios label. Did So technically, no. Encino Man is a Disney movie. He's a Disney princess. <laughs> <laughs> Legit, this movie, they could put it on Disney Plus tomorrow. They own it. They should. Also, this continues our streak of having a Disney film in every, in every ep- movie episode. Wait, this one's not a Disney film. Encino Man is. Encino Man is. Encino Man. Oh, yeah. So is Son-in-Law. Wait, Son-in-Law is made by... The- yeah, Hollywood Studios. That's the uh, production company with the Sphinx logo. There's a common phrase in the business called... How it goes is, if you see the Sphinx... It stinks. <laughs> <laughs> so rude. Basically, Walt Disney, they had Buena Vista pictures, right? Mm. And that was like the good the good stuff. The stuff they had. The good com- live action. The stuff they had confidence in. Right. And the garbage comedies that were made with, made, like, made for no money. Like, you know, it was like, yeah, you make a cheap comedy for five, Sh- you for know. children. Five million bucks or whatever. You know, mm. that was what Hollywood Studios was there for, you know. 
So you had your splashes no and your... I, I don't know any other live-action Disney movies at the time, but... I love Splash. I'm just saying, that was Buena Vista. Splash had Buena Vista. Encino Man had Hollywood pictures. Well, <laughs> I mean, they knew what they were doing. Ah, did they give it a chance? They wouldn't put... They didn't even really put money into it. Have you seen Encino Man? No. Not all the either. way through. It's got a young Sean Astin in it as well. Young, I don't know who that is. A young uh, Samwise Gamgee. Oh. Yeah. I know who that is. Young Rudy. He played Rudy? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> the man has range. Yeah, he does. I'm very proud of you, young man, old was, man. He was dropping no eaves. Oh, gosh. Encino Man was a financial success, and Pauly Shore was a hot commodity in Hollywood at that time. Which is kind of weird. It's like, he hit the scene in 89 on MTV. And he just kind of blew in, up. In like four years, the man's a hot commodity. Yeah. He struck while the iron was hot. He got in and got out with Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, he was very much, as, as much as we were talking about in the last thing, like... He was the aesthetic. He, he, yeah, yeah. He he rode the aesthetic. Yeah, oh, that was the early nineties. He is the early nineties. He is the early nineties. <laughs> All right. Um, though Paul, though Shore was interested in starring in a new line cinema joint called Totally London. Apparently, that movie was never made. Yeah, yeah it was like it was like about like a I don't know like a snooty American guy who travels to London to like work as a butler or something like that. Okay. I don't know. There's like. How how these Pauly Shore movies worked, it was like, Pauly Shore in situation. Yeah. That's the movie. It's yeah. like, Encino Man, it's Pauly Shore with a caveman. Yeah. <laughs> in LA. Biodome, it's Pauly Shore in a biodome. Totally London would have just been Pauly Shore in London. Yep. <laughs> Son-in-law, it's Pauly Shore on a farm. Yep. So he wanted to do this Totally London movie, which mm. I guess was like, in production at the time. And he he was more drawn to that idea because he had a deal with Disney, but all of the scripts they presented to him, he didn't like. And he was like, I, I, none of these, none of these I'm interested in. I'd rather go do this for New Line Cinema. But he was strong-armed into staying with Hollywood Pictures by Walt Disney Studio chief Jeffrey Katzenberg. <sighs> Petty a-hole, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Katzenberg. So we have him to thank for this? Like, so Polly didn't even want to do this trash fire. No, he did not. So we can't blame Polly for this trash fire. No, we can blame Jeffrey Katzenberg just like we can blame Jeffrey Katzenberg for all the other terrible things he's done. <laughs> so, yeah, Polly didn't want to make this movie, but Jeffrey somehow got in there, uh, did what Jeffrey does best and convinced people to do things they don't want to do. He stayed with Hollywood Pictures, Hollywood Studios, and made The Son-in-Law. Jerk. <laughs> so, in conclusion, Shore was set to star in Son-in-Law, a project he was not particularly interested in. I think knowing that, I can see that. I can see, because there's a lot of, like, moments where I just kept thinking, why are his eyes so dead? Why is he, like, there were moments even <laughs> when we were like... watching it, when he was, like, when he walked in on the mom, he's like, oh, so sorry. That's how he delivered <laughs> the not, line. He's not trying. He's just like, you're not, that didn't. None of that was sincere. I'm going to get my Disney money and get the heck out of here. <laughs> um, as a side note, Totally London was eventually bought by Disney. And it was renamed London Calling, cast with cool running star Dougie Doug. Okay. Before it was killed in pre-production. Yeah, I was like, I still haven't heard any of that. Never made it. But that would have been something. something. <laughs> and that's Son-in-Law, man. Wow. Both of these movies had like very little run up for production this one was made in a year 
Well, it didn't even need seven years in in writing the writing phase. Like it was just like, hey, we got the we got the script already, Paulie, ready to go. And like, it was just fine. Like, it was just like make make this like generic comedy script a Paulie Shore movie. Just inject the Paulie Shoreisms into it. We're good to yeah. go. I think it's also interesting, right? Like because he doesn't say his catchphrase throughout this whole thing, and I wonder if he just completely refused to, which is why they had the uh, the uh, lead actress saying it so often. Yeah. That might be the case. I don't mm. know. All right, but that is son-in-law. So, can you give us the rundown? What is the son-in-law about? Because well, okay, before I before you say that, I will say, don't give away the like the premise because the premise is established like what forty minutes in. Yes. Just tell us where the movie starts. The movie starts um, on a football field because a class is graduating from high school. South Dakota, I believe, right? Was it South Dakota or Wyoming? No, no, no. I think it was it was one of the Dakotas. Okay, I think it was South Dakota. So a teenage girl from South Dakota named Be- Becca. Becca. Rebecca. She is graduating from high school and she's going to go off to college in California. California. Um, and so you you think okay, that seems like a premise for a movie? Yeah. Country girl moves to big city. Yeah. Fish out of water story. Yeah. Tale as old as time. Yeah. And for me, I was like, okay, I can engage with this. I can invest in this story. That's fine. Sure. Yeah. And and so legit for the first half hour of this movie, that's what the movie is. There's no indication of where the movie's going to go from there. I, <laughs> as far as I was concerned, it's about a country girl finding herself in Los Angeles. Right. Like, oh, I've always, I've grown up to been this, and now I'm learning there are more facets to me than I could have ever expected. Yeah. <laughs> you, Jess captured the clips for this movie, and uh, we only have one clip of her at home before she leaves off to California. And that's a talk with her dad on the way out there. California is a long way off just to go to school. Uh, are you sure you don't want to reconsider state? No, Dad. <laughs> you know I want to do this. Yeah. Rebecca, I- I'm not sure that I've really prepared you for what you're going to run into out there. The boys are different than they are here. They, um, well, the lifestyle's a lot faster. Are you trying to tell me not to have sex, Dad? Huh? 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 So, that, I mean, yeah, it's like there are a lot of scenes like that where you're establishing this parents as they're very mild-mannered country folk who uh, are just concerned about the safety of their little girl. Yeah. She's going to a very... Going far away in a very different place. Yep. When she's lived in a town where everybody knows everybody. And I'm sure, like, you know, you hear stories about the, you know, the wild Californians. Yeah. I hear stories about the wild Californians, and I'm from California. This is true. It's a lot of that establishment. Right. You're establishing the world this girl comes from so that when she gets to California, yeah. it's like a culture shock. And yes. it's, cult- it's a culture shock for the whole family because the whole family drives from South Dakota in a pickup truck to Los Angeles. It's a terrible idea. Never terrible idea. Child. Put her on the plane. Put her on a plane. <laughs> or only one of you drive her. Take a sedan. Yeah. <laughs> Don't take the truck. Don't take... That's a country song that you wouldn't understand the reference to. Nope. But yeah, she she makes it to uh, the school, the university that she's attending. She leaves behind 
her she has like a boyfriend you know typical oh, like yeah, middle yeah. american girl she leaves high school oh, sweetheart yeah she leaves back a oh, high school sweetheart her grandpa they have like some moment before they leave uh she drives with her mom her dad and her younger brother so there's like a little shenanigans but like the setup is very much like oh you see how sweet and how much like they're a family and they annoy each other but they also love each other kind of thing so like when she gets to california you just think like this is where the story is going to be about right. how trying not to lose her roots in this new place. Exactly. And so she gets to the school. All freshmen must report for registration by 6 p.m. If you don't register, you don't exist. I don't know why you got that quote. But- I liked it just because it was like, that's like a very like college thing. The, okay, we didn't have a PA system at our college. We did like, not. That's not. We had at that point internet and cell phones so uh but the idea of just that how real that is just kind of like if you don't register you don't exist i literally got kicked out of college because i didn't register i like had graduated i'd finished all my courses but we only do a graduation once a year and i was not aware that i needed to apply for graduation (laughs) so because i didn't register for classes or apply for graduations they're like oh she doesn't exist and i was taken out of the school i just got that because i'm like kids if you don't register, you don't exist. So you either register for classes or register for graduation. Don't do what I did because I had to pay to get back into my school and I couldn't let anyone go to graduation because um, by the time I figured it out, all the tickets were gone. Mm. Which, I mean, is fine because I hate graduations. I will say it does establish the difference of where she comes from and where she's going to. Because, mm. like, her... You see her graduating class, and it's, like, less than 100 people. Like yeah. Less than it's 100. less than 50. Yeah. It's just a very small ceremony with kids who probably, like, spent their entire lives in school together, right? Mm-hmm. People, you know these people from, you know, kindergarten to high school. Yeah. Um, and so everyone's tight-knit. It's, you know, very... Uh, you will never not exist. Exactly. Everyone's kind of warm to each other. Everyone knows each other. Everyone's kind to each other. And then... She gets to California. It's very cold, clinical, matter of fact. Yeah. Like, You're just a, f- a face in a sea of faces. Exactly. Um, but we never learn what college she's going to, what she's attending, because it's unnamed in the film. The entire, all of the university scenes in this movie were filmed at Cal State Northridge. Ah, so, a Northridge girl. Just want to point that out. <laughs> but we get a scene of them moving into the dorms. She's living in a co-ed dorm. You lived at a co-ed dorm, yeah? Yeah, I did. Did are you sure they didn't say it was USC or something? No, no. Okay. Yeah, I lived in a co-ed dorm. Was the introduction of the co-ed dorm true to life? I think moving into any dorm is about that hectic. It's about that hectic. I think when you watch the movie, if you've watched it, kids, and if you've ever like moved into a dorm or lived in a dorm, the the hallways are far too small. Like, I mean, if this was shot in Northridge, Northridge, your hallways are too tiny. Your hallways are too tiny. <laughs> um, but more or less, yeah, I, I think that you don't really see very much, like, of the, like, lifestyle of this. Yeah, well, it, when when they walk in, the dad is horrified. Because it's like, dudes walk... I, there are naked people in the hallway, yeah? When they walk in? Yeah, there's people walking around in, like, towels, and somebody, like, snatches a towel, and you just see dude butt... And, like, you know, I, I assume he walked in there and smelled marijuana immediately. Mm. Uh, he sees underage drinking, and, like, he's just horrified. It's the first day, guys. Like, yeah, take it easy. 
But yeah, so he's like, oh no, what have we allowed our daughter to walk into here? Right. And he's very concerned. He's like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Oh, oh. And like, it's just a shock to their system. And right. It, again, it's all making sense so far. I'm like, yep, yep. This is all consistent with their characters. Mm-hmm. The movie I think we're going to, that that's, it makes sense. Right. To- yep. And then we're introduced to the star of the show, Mr. Pauly Shore, who is, what, what is his job? He is the RA, which stands for Resident Advisor. Is that like an upperclassman who's just like watching over the dorms? Yes. Okay. Anybody home? Hello! Hey! <laughs> oh, oh. Uh, sorry, I, I need a, uh, a screwdriver. I'm sorry, I'm all out of vodka. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I, I need to borrow a real screwdriver uh, to, to open my my uh, daughter's uh, trunk. Yeah, oh, right you have the daughter. <laughs> Is she hot? What? Don't worry, I'll keep a special eye on her for you. My name's Carl, <laughs> and I'm the resident advisor. Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> funny <laughs> the dad says that a lot that's, that's pretty funny but um Polly shore plays a character named crawl yep crawl yes uh not crotch <laughs> crawl crawl not crap crawl and uh he is when introduced he's like a stereotypical stoner hippie dude right he is like hanging upside down in his dorm room he's got like psychedelic posters all over the wall it's like I assume like smoke and stuff in there too. Like yeah, it's, it doesn't look smoky, but yeah, there's it's given off the stoner smoke, vibe. Yeah, he's smoking pot in there, um, and it has very like hippie vibes, you know. Mm. Um, and obviously he's you know he's talking about alcohol. He's talking about how hot the daughter is. Like the dad. Yeah, like, it's it's not comforting. No, for his father. It's not anybody who's been in RA. That's not a thing that you do. No. <laughs> He is, he is a poor example of authority. Yes. You wait until week t- two to start doing that to make sure there are no parents dropping off kids. He, he, he'd be fired, right? Like he, he, mm, You get paid to be an RA, yeah? You do. Sort of. I don't know. I wasn't an RA. I don't know the ins and outs, but uh, yeah. you Yeah. Anyway, and, and dad's not having it. I'm not going to have her living across the hall from that, uh, that, that thing over there. Ooh. I told you, I didn't like this co-ed business. He, you know, runs back and is just like, no, 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 we're taking you home. Which, again, lays in with the, the story that we are expecting. expecting. Just kind of like, no, this is wrong. This is too too bad. Let's take you home. And she's like, no, I'm going to tough it out. You know, yeah, she puts you're her- being so judgmental and, and um, prejudice <laughs> against these people because they're different. Right, so she puts her foot down and she insists she's going to stay. So she sees her family off. They they head out. They have a you know nice embrace before her parents leave, and she is there at college on her own. Yep. And I, I'm, again, I'm still with the movie. I'm like, okay, Rebecca, college student. This is like the movie's going to be like her first year in college. Yeah. At, you know, uh, in California, different. You know, and you think, okay, maybe there's going to be some. Some issues with her long-distance relationship with her boyfriend, or she's going to call home, and, you know, who knows what could happen. Yeah. This seems like just a pretty solid setup for a good movie. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, a passable movie. Passable. A coming of age. And, and again, the the, it, the movie continues on from there. Right. And uh, we get very early in the movie, uh, Rebecca is having second thoughts about staying in college. 
because I, I don't know. She's- just like things. She's uncomfortable. She's living with way more people than she normally like. She's living with a roommate. Um, and the roommate and has parties. The roommate, no, there's a Halloween party. Like we jump like very quickly <laughs> to like, there's two scenes between the, um, her parents leaving and then a Halloween party. So yeah. it's supposed to be like a month. at least a month yeah. later. And, uh, the whole dorm is just people everywhere, like from other dorms and there's, it's costume parties and stuff. And she's not excited about it because... That's a lot, and you know. Yeah, her roommate didn't tell her that she's having a party, and she's yeah, like, you know, people pe- are invading her personal space, and they break her, her, her the horse that her grandpa made her out of wood, whittling <laughs> little wooden horse. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, I just want to go home. I can't take it anymore. I want to get out of here. What's up? I'm leaving. To love a better party, then. No, I, I'm leaving school. I'm, I'm going home. Uh, what are you doing, Carl? I'm saving you from a major mistake. Carl, just leave me alone. Give me five minutes, all right? And if you don't like what I got to say, then you can make your call. Just five minutes. And what does he explain in those five minutes? He explains that she hasn't even given college a shot. Like, she's already preparing to run away, and it's been a month. Let me guess. You miss your mom, dad, boyfriend, dog... Basically everything you can think of back at home, right? How do you know that? Look at this. <laughs> That's you? No. Freshman year. <laughs> oh my god, you were such a nerd. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. No, That's bread. What happened? I tossed the spectacles, grew the dew, gusted some brew. This is college, man. Look at it. This is supposed to be the best years of our lives. So they have a, like a nice little heart to heart. Right. Of like, we're like, hey, I know what you're feeling. I was like that too. My name was, he said his name. I can't remember what Fred it was. Fred or something. Fred. <laughs> um, And I get it. The homesickness and you miss stuff, but this is college. Yeah. And, and again, we have not established the premise of the movie yet. These are false premises. Yeah. We. Th- this is not what the movie's about. Mm-mm. And I'm, I'm like, I, I know it would like you're sitting on the edge of your seats knowing, well, what's this movie really about? But hold on. We're not going to get there quite yet. So at this point, she decides to stay and crawl's going to ease her into California life. Right. And this part of the movie, I liked. All right. Yeah. I maybe it's because I grew up in Southern California. I like to see. Early 90s Southern California. It reminds me of my childhood, okay? Right. So this probably has something to do with it. You are a very nostalgic Nessie. Yes. So they go out to like Venice Beach and they're just hanging out, like scoping the babes and the hunks, you know? <laughs> like, and I'm like, yeah. I didn't go and scope out babes or hunks when I was, you know, four, <laughs> four years old or whatever. <laughs> but I do have memories of going to Venice Beach and it being quite fun. So, you know, they, they do stuff like that in L.A. Wow, she is fantastic. Hey, oh, oh, touch me, touch me. Hey, over here, some just came up. That's the kind of girl I'm gonna marry, Rebecca. I promise. Oh, you could do much better than that. Better than that? Look at that guy. What happened to him? Steroids. His scones are bigger than mine. Becca, Travis. What? You're just looking. And they, she undergoes this transformation. Yeah. Um, they, they go and like have like, there's like a big montage in, in LA basically. Mm-hmm. And it's like, she 
gets new clothes. She gets her hair done. She gets a tattoo by Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yep. <laughs> Tattoos. Right. What's up? Come on, buddy. She said it. She said it, buddy. Oh. Oh. Does it hurt? It's better than a kick in the face with a golf shoe. So crawl. What do you think? It's permanent. Crawl. I'm mingling. It's up to you. Oh. Okay. So what I want is something feminine. He's standing right next to me. Hmm. You see that? Huh? So. You pick it, I stick it. I thought that line was funny because she's like, uh, I want something feminine. He looks over at Polly Shore and says, he's standing right next to me. <laughs> well, what is her tattoo? Does she have a tram stamp? She, no, she has a butterfly on her ankle. Okay, yeah. I had teachers who had that tat- very tattoo. I assume, I, I, I assume my grade school teachers were about the age of Rebecca in college. Like, yeah. They, went to, they were freshmen in college in 1993. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> Um, so again, it is, you know, 20 minutes of them just romping through LA crawl, teaching Rebecca how to, you know, get out of herself, you know, transform herself, become the woman she wants to be. Make a dude out of you. And I don't hate this. No. Pauly Shore is a little grating. He's a little annoying. Um, they go, they have like a, they, they go to like a. Mud wrestling. Like a mud wrestling show at a bar. That was a little weird. It was. It was but like, I it, guess that's a thing that was done in LA in I the don't 90s. Know. It was just I like weird know. underground LA stuff. But um I enjoyed this. As we talked about with Buffy, it is I, I like this aesthetic. Yeah. This early nineties aesthetic with the Valley Girls and the you the know, Dude the Bros. Dude Bros. <laughs> uh I feel like so I was I was having a thought, right? Mm. There's a uh a California-themed theme park near where we live, near Disneyland even. It's called Knott's Berry Farm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Knott's Berry Farm is in some ways themed around history of California, right? Is it? Yeah, it's got like Old West prospectory type lands. Okay. There's a 50s style like uh, Beach Boys boardwalk, mm-hmm. right? And they play old uh, Beach Boys tunes, right? I fi- You know what I mean? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. The 50s and 60s were... That's what, like, the California lifestyle was. Like, going down to the beach and surfing and driving your, you know, your Firebird or whatever. Right, right, right. So, the 60s were about 30 years removed from the 90s when we were going to Knott's Berry Farm, right? Right. And they were, you know, indulging in 60s nostalgia, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I feel like it's about time for those California celebrate, you know, the, the... Theme parks or places that celebrate California history need to start celebrating the nineties. The nineties Valley Girl du- Dude Bro, you know, Dude Speak era. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. the Saved by the Bells. Uh Zach Morris is trash. That we need that. Disney's California Adventure, they need to introduce that. You know, your your early nineties mall setting. <laughs> <laughs> it's about time. We don't even go out. So you wouldn't be able to appreciate it. And also, you've never been to California Disney, so you don't know what they have or what they don't. So, but I hear you. Yeah. You, but that's only because you want that. You're, you're a nostalgia buff. Right. So that, that, that's what this movie reminded me of. It was mm. like, you know, a, t- a time in the early 90s when it was just like colorful and, uh, I don't know, freewheeling, breezy. <laughs> but that's not where the movie is. 
Are you sure? I feel like we've talked about it a lot. It, it must be what the movie is. Okay. <laughs> so, real talk, this movie is a Thanksgiving movie. It is. It is one of those rare Thanksgiving movies. I can think of, like, two other ones. I can, I think, can of, think of zero. Uh, planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Mm-hmm. Ch- chicken Run, maybe. <laughs> right? It's turkeys in that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, the movie is set during Thanksgiving, really. Yeah. So... It comes Over Thanksgiving thanks- break. It comes Thanksgiving time, and Rebecca is going to fly home. Right. And, uh, I thought you were leaving for Vegas. <laughs> no, fell through. I'm going to stay here in much solo, though. By yourself? It's cool, because, look, Hungry Man, they came out with the new Pilgrim Platter. I'm all over it. Creates the mean love. How do you please a hungry man? Sing it, Rebecca! Hungry man satisfies your appetite with 50% more meat. For hearty appetites and your enjoyment, we offer a hungry... What do you... Hey. I have a better idea. So the, she basically says, you have nowhere to go on Thanksgiving. Come home with me! And this is when you remembered that we had watched this movie before. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is what the movie's about. <laughs> 30, 40 minutes into this movie is when the actual plot starts. All that other stuff was filler. Unimportant. Pretty unimportant, yeah. The real meat is Pauly Shore, a weird dude bro from California, comes home with Rebecca to South Dakota to live on the farm for a week during Thanksgiving. Yeah, that's the movie I wanted. It's not. It's, uh, at that point, I was like, oh, no, that's what this movie is? Oh, God. <laughs> How did he think he was going to be the son-in-law if he didn't get to meet the family? Oh, God. <laughs> we haven't even got to the worst part. This is true. We haven't. I feel like I'm spending like... I've, I've spent as much time explaining the beginning of this movie, get to the point, as the movie really did. Yeah, that's fair. I'm just giving you the, the honest experience of watching this movie <laughs> so you don't have to. But yeah, they, they, they show up in South Dakota and... Uh, you know, the family is, like, caught off guard by Rebecca's transformation. Ow! What's up, buddy? <laughs> Guys! Is that her? Huh? It is her. Jessica! Oh, no. <laughs> Connie! Walter! <gasps> Calling her parents by their first names. Speaking like Polly Shore, which is unsettling. <laughs> He's, like, rubbed off on her so much that she just talks like him. She's wearing a mesh shirt with a purple bra. And yeah, just 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 out there with her family on the runway. <laughs> yeah, just like that's not that's not the the girl they um like her little sent off. Her weird little brother is like, I'm gonna tell mom about your tattoo. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> and then of course they meet Crawl again. Well, where's your friend, dear? Oh, he was right. Hey. Oh, Warners, the family I never had. Crawl, <laughs> this is my family. You must be Zach. Becca told me uh, about those Mom. puffy cheekies. Oh. But she never said she had a younger sister. It's her mom. Uh, we're old friends, remember? You'll be happy to know, though, right after you bailed, I popped your daughter's trunk. Oh, shit. And you heard it there a very little there at the end. You, you heard the Green Acres theme. <laughs> Green Acres is the place to, to be. <laughs> Goodness. Um, yep. And I, 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 at this point, it's plenty clear. It's like, oh, no, this movie's just Polly Shore on the farm. Yep. But this is still not the movie. It's still not the movie. <laughs> okay. 
here's the t- the moment you've all been waiting for. What the movie really is about. You so, look so stressed right now. I, I'm very stressed out because again, we, we watched this movie the second time, and I had like blocked out all of it. Like <laughs> yeah. I repressed the memory, <laughs> and we're sitting there, and and like. I'm asking questions and Jess is like, you don't remember the movie? And I was like, why? And then there's a moment where like, oh no, I remember the movie. So Rebecca gets home and her high school sweetheart uh, approaches her. Like, you know. Travis. Is that his name? Yeah. Travis. He, he, he basically proposes to her. He gets on, he gets on one knee in the barn. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, in the barn, bro? Like. Not even like the barn is decorated. It's just he happened to bring her in there, step in cow poop, and then was like, I guess this is a good place to yeah, propose. He, he straight up, you know, goes down on one knee in the manure to ask her to marry him. So, what's going on? What do you mean? This guy. I mean, who is he? Oh, Travis, I'm sorry. He's my neighbor. He, he was alone for Thanksgiving. You know, he's just a friend. Well, I, I've been thinking a lot about us lately, you know? Uh, I mean, you've been gone for three months, and I, I realized how much I love you. And I guess what I'm trying to say is... Rebecca? Will you, oh, God. What, what are, <laughs> as soon as she sees him start to get down, she's like, oh! And he at least has the amount of tact to be like, okay, she's not into this. I'll give her so, a little bit of time first she wasn't expecting it she just got back from college this is the first day back we're in the barn <laughs> i'll ask her to marry me at a later time like on fr- like that night yep yeah like at the big but before we get to all that right like how does how does she react she's not down with it and she confides in crawl well, we have to talk oh, yeah, i could see that what's the problem travis He's going to ask me to marry him. What? <laughs> he got down on one knee. <laughs> oh. I thought he was what I wanted, but now, you know, I just I just can't see myself settling down. You know, I, I think I'm really too young. Hey, 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 stop, stop. Sit down. What? Relax. Hey, you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. <sighs> Crawl, it's not that easy. No, I just don't want to hurt him. Just remember, the longer you wait, the more painful it's going to be. And like, <laughs> we're like, okay, okay. All right. So that's, you know, just a wrinkle. The movie has firmly gone away from what I wanted from the movie <laughs> at this point. I'm just like, oh no. <laughs> Whatever we're doing now, I don't want to be a part of it. Yeah, I feel like I'm just being dragged along at this point by a bad movie, huh? right? Like, it's like screenwriters. You couldn't like, I don't know, cut down, cut it down a little bit. Nope. Nope. Okay, so again. This is why Polly didn't want to do the movie. Yeah, yeah. Polly saw the issues that we see. Okay, uh, Travis says, I'm going to ask her to marry him. I'm going to ask her to marry me at, like, the big town hall. Yeah, like the like, town. Banquet. Like, if it almost feels like a Friendsgiving. Just, like, it's everybody in town sitting at a banquet doing something. Yeah, and he's like, cool, I'm just going to ask her to marry me in front of the whole town. So she- that's later that night. So, does does she, she have a chance to no nope, she's not down with that as you all know rebecca warner and i have been courting for almost five years now he's doing it right now and since i think of you all as family i thought it was important that we include you on this very special occasion honey rebecca 
Will you marry me? Oh. 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 A few things on that. I feel like it is inappropriate to ask someone to marry you in a public setting. This, this, I don't know. Was, I, was, I have mixed feelings on it. One, I would never, I would turn you down on principle. I And I would not feel any sore about it. But there are some people who love ground displays. But you got to know your person. Yeah. Obviously, he didn't know that she had like was going to say no, but... I don't know, man. I I feel like I've heard too many stories. Yeah, of, you shouldn't do it. Of like the couple, like the guy who asks his girlfriend to marry him at the NBA halftime, you mm-hmm. know, and she is basically being um, coerced into yeah. saying yes because she doesn't want to appear like you know some kind of cold-hearted person on live television. Oh yeah, or in no. front of a large crowd of people. That's fair. I I wouldn't care. I would still say no. <laughs> I'm like, uh, no, thanks, bye. So anyway, I think that's unhealthy, but. You know, so again, uh, Rebecca's caught off guard. She doesn't want to do it. So she freaks out. She has no idea what to do. So what does she do? She basically just like steps on Crawl's foot and says, do something. And Crawl does what the first thing that comes to mind as a dumb idiot. (laughs) Ow, 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 ow. Wait, I I just wanted to say something. That Travis is too late. Whoa, this is getting good. Yeah, um, because a couple weeks ago at school, I already asked Beck to marry me. And she said yes. Oh, my God. Here, I almost forgot. Sweetie, here's your little ringy. <laughs> Look at she's nervous. <laughs> oh, hey, dude, don't worry. She never cheated on you. Travis? Travis! <gasps> and that's the movie! <laughs> Is that the movie? That's the movie. That's the movie, kids. 45 minutes into the movie is when we have the plot of the movie. What the conflict is. Polly Shore is pretending to be Rebecca's fiance so that she doesn't feel bad about turning down her boyfriend. Yep. And now they have to all play into the charade. Rebecca and Polly Shore have to pretend in front of her family that yes, they are indeed engaged, and the family has to learn to love him because it's like we we hate this weirdo, but she's marrying our daughter, so sure, yeah. And it's like that's when I was like, oh no, I remember what the movie's about, <laughs> and it's this, and it sucks, <laughs> and it's dumb. It's this, and it sucks, and it's dumb, and <laughs> it's just an excuse to have Pauly Shore do stupid antics on the farm, yeah, because like. He's going to marry the farmer's daughter. He might as well learn to be a farmer, right? Yeah. How do you propose to support my daughter? Well, what do you do? I run this farm. Yeah, I can do that. Huh? I mean, since I'm part of this family now, stuff, and I'll probably take over when you retire. You want to be a farmer? Yeah. Farming is not like sitting on your butt in school. Farming is hard work. Yeah, I know. I'm going to do the 9 to 5 9 to 5 9 to 5 You hear that, Theo? I think we got ourselves a farmer. And that's it. Mm-hmm. That's the rest of the movie. Yeah. I, and I feel like we... It hasn't felt like I've been, like, summarizing the, the plot of the movie. Yeah, you've been going. Because I'm like... All of that stuff that I just explained is, like... So irrelevant, irrelevant, useless, because the only thing you need to worry about is girl is pretending to marry weirdo. Yep. <laughs> on the farm so that the weirdo can do weird farm things. Yep. 
This is why he didn't want to do the movie. No. And, like, I hate... Like, okay. Once we're into it, I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> I don't... Like, I'm already kind of, like, annoyed by Pauly Shore's gimmick. Right. By the time he's on the farm doing lowbrow humor, slapstick, uh, poop jokes... It's not, it's fart not jokes. yours. It's not for you. No. And I'm like, this is, like, lowest common denominator garbage. The thing that Pauly Shore is, like, chastised for... Mm-hmm. It for all to see, like I'm trying. Like, what does he do on the farm? Like, I remember he like is feeds ta- pigs, milks a cow, gets a turkey, runs from a bull. All of the stupid tractor, all the stupid stuff that a clown would do on the farm. Like, that's it. You yeah, know? It's like this could have been a comedy short for his television show. Yeah, because it's it- not like funny. There's like nothing that really happens that's like laughable no it it, it upset me greatly <laughs> i was so frustrated just like on the floor like i hate this so much is it over yet because he doesn't do anything this feels like an episode from a like a paulie shore television show right mm-hmm. like a paulie shore like there's one episode where he visits the farm like yeah. you know he visits family on the farm and like they teach him how to do farm things and he's goofy and bad at it but it's a freaking real movie that we made. <laughs> it's a film theater, film length. Did you enjoy the antics when you watched as a kid? I think so. I think. I mean, I. I mean, kids, you've seen my taste in movies. I. I don't have the best humor. No. Excuse no. you. <laughs> Excuse you. I have excellent humor. I just you know rewatch stupid movies because I like stupid movies and. I can't, I can't tell you why, like, I watched it so much. I just can't. I can't tell you why I watched it so much or what I dropped. But I'm sure I did laugh at a lot of those things. And, like, Kroll is so dumb. And he, like, I can't root for him. Like, I, I don't want to see him succeed because he's so stupid. <laughs> like, there's Stupid a point, people need to be rooted for, too. There's a point where, like, he's not even asked to, like, get in the tractor and do tractor things. Like, he just does it. Yeah, he just like, gets in the tractor and like, oh, it's a spaceship. Yeah, he's, like, pretending... I don't know, like, he's just fooling around in the tractor and he accidentally turns it on and ends up, like, I I can only assume doing irreparable damage to this man's crops. Yeah. This man's livelihood. Yep. Um, <laughs> that's what we were saying. It was like, that's not okay, actually. Real no. talk? No. Mm. I, he's, he's just, he's like nothing. He's not even a character. He's not. He's a caricature. He's just a person there, saying lines. There's nothing for him to learn. But yeah. he's the star of the movie when the star of the movie should be Rebecca. Yeah. But, like, the movie, like, goes from being, like, oh, yeah, this could have been a fine movie about Rebecca to, like, no, this movie's straight up just about Polly Shore on yeah. the farm. Yeah, it's such a weird switch. <laughs> You're like, what else is it? You look so tired and done already. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I felt about Free Willy. Yeah. I think that, like, yeah, it, it, it loses its... The first 40 minutes or so feel like a movie, and then the remaining half of the mo- the film feels like um, a worthless TV sh- episode. Yeah. Just much like- They like feel like said. two things stitched together. Like, yeah. They don't fit. Yeah. And it's like, there's- Better screenwriters could have, like, trimmed it down and made an actual movie out of this, but, like, they spent way too much time on the beginning, and it gave the audience the wrong impression- Yeah. About what this movie's about. Yeah. And then what they deli- what the goods are like? Okay, we got the goods. Here's Pauly Shore being Pauly Shore. It's like I don't want that either. <laughs> I'm not sure you know what you want. 
all this to be said, right? Like, so the thing that I end up focusing on uh, as an adult is the characters, right? So with all of these characters that are in play, uh, the second half is really where the relationships are supposed to be doing the weight, carrying the weight. The parent, like the family's supposed to warm up to crawl or something. Or something. <laughs> Crawl's not supposed to change. Crawl is constant. The family is supposed to realize that they are stuck in their ways and they need to um, be more advanced like Californians are. Like, you know, it feels very, a lot of it just feels very disparaging of like middle America, which there's stuff that we did not like get clips for where I was just like, that's really rude. Honestly, like like the the small rural family, they're the bigots. Yeah. (laughs) Or they're they're prejudiced against Crawl because he's just, I don't know, different. Yeah. Which, I mean, he is different and he deserves some, like, but like. That's not necessarily true. It's really weird. But they, they make a lot. We don't have those clips because I hate it. But they make a lot of incest jokes. Ugh. Like. Like I said, it's low brown. It's super low brown. It's very much just like, okay, so it, this is the same problem I had with like Free Willy. Like, why are you painting this thing that is very real as like this? Yeah, you it's know, very like ju- it, it's juvenile. It's. It's like, care- like, it's just making it careless. Car- it's careless. It is very careless. Like to like say that um about anyone you know and just yeah. like make it whatever i know people can be like oh it was the time and we made things like that and it's like okay i'm glad that we have stuff to point to and say like yeah we can't be like that anymore our media should not be propagating things like that i i i would hope that people, even audiences at the time were like this is really dumb dude like, they weren't like, well maybe well, they were <laughs> we'll talk about um, but yeah, so we've got like moments with Crawl and the family. Like the the thing that like I know that was also really uh upsetting to you while we were watching this babe was um how they would undercut a lot of like these moments that right, like you said, there's supposed to be moments where Crawl is getting closer to the family. Yeah. And so you see like kind of a warm, heartfelt moment and then it's like undercut with quote unquote comedic comedic Holy shortisms. Yeah. It, like the the music you know the 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 orchestral score will kind of swell up and like create this emotional moment where it's like yeah crawl is connecting to the father yeah crawl, crawl is connecting to the mother and then it quickly becomes like a just a fart joke or yeah you know like just dumb things mm-hmm. yeah um I, I i the one that we talked about is there's a point in the film where crawl goes fishing with rebecca's dad and grandpa and it's supposed to be this, you know, you know, the men bonding, bonding together, doing a, a common activity. And like there maybe the best writing in the movie. There's a very nice little scene where Crawl gets to the dad's level. Yeah. And, you know, they they discuss what it's like to be a father and stuff like that. Right. You know, I kind of feel sorry for you, Mr. Warner. What? Well, your dad, you know, I've been noticing the way he's always treating you. Oh, he's been like that as long as I can remember the son of a bitch. Kind of like the way you get down on Zach for the way he does things too, huh? I'm sorry. Got that emotional score coming up. You talking about the way he plays with those stupid computer games all day? Those aren't just games to him. That's what he's into. He's not asking you to do it, is he? He just wants some room too. Yeah, well, uh, uh, who asked you? Sorry. 
So at that moment, you're like, oh, yeah, crawl, crawl. Those are some wise words from Pauly Shore. Yeah. Like, especially at that point, by that point, you see, like, the tension between him and Zach, or the dad and Zach, which is his son. Um, But you also see it, like, mirrored in how the dad and his dad interact. And so he's like, you know, if you don't like how your dad is is like this with you, maybe try not to continue the cycle of that. Because by this point... uh Crawl has developed a relationship with the little brother. Yeah. Like, to connect over their love of coding and hacking computers. And, yeah. Um, and being prepubescent boys. Right. But obviously, and the, and, and the little brother, Zach, explains that he doesn't, you know, connect with his dad because his dad doesn't really engage him on this stuff. Yeah. Downplays it. Yeah. It doesn't, like, really care to go after what he understands, what he likes. You know what I, you know what I would diagnose this phenomenon as? What? Dad guilt. <laughs> a lot of dad guilt going on here. Yeah. Okay, but again, that is a very sentimental... Poignant moment that could do a lot. Yeah, I was like, okay, hey, this movie's doing something for a moment. And immediately, like, within 10 seconds, the the grandpa has keeled over and is having, like, some kind of... Heart palpitations or something. He's having some kind of mental issue. Medical issue. Medical emergency. Medical emergency. And so... Uh, Crawl decides, I know, I know CPR, and he's trying to give him mouth to mouth. Where are you, Bill? In my jacket and in the truck. <laughs> Assess the situation. Gramps is dying, okay. CPR. Right. And the grandpa wakes up and is like, ah, oh, get away from me. What happened? What happened? Jeez. He tried to kiss me. Dude, I was doing CPR. I know what I'm doing. I majored in it for a half semester. If it's between my dying or him kissing me, I'd rather die. So the emotional, sentimental moment is completely undercut by casual homophobia. Yeah. <laughs> like, played for laughs. And I was like, they do this all the time. Yeah. And it's just... That's, you know, that's it. Like, oh, we had a moment. Oh, but we have to remember this is a comedy, I guess. A dumb comedy. Like, dumb and dumber comedy. So Farley the, Brothers style comedy. And that is supposed to be the moment that um, Crawl connects with the grandpa. Just so you know. Like, that is their <laughs> moment. So, like, from this point on, like, him and the dad are, like, I guess a little bit better. But him and the grandpa are now jokey-jokey. Ha-ha, remember that time you tried to kiss me? And so that was that was their emotional connecting moment. Ugh. I hate it. Yeah. Thanks, but, thanks, I hate it. Thanks, I hate it. But um, this very emotional, this moment that was undercut was very emotional for for our boy Crawl. And so he, at this point, decides that he doesn't want to do this anymore. Crawl, will you just talk to me? Rebecca, I don't want to lie to him anymore. Oh, Crawl, you're not doing this to me now. I told you we're going to get back to school and I'll call and I'll tell him we broke up. Yeah, but your dad took me fishing, all right? We bonded, finally. I like your family, Rebecca. I like them a whole bunch. And that's why I don't want to ruin it. We just have two more days. Look, I don't care, Rebecca. Either you tell him or I'm going to tell him. Okay, I'll tell him. Are you going to tell him? Yes. And neither of these characters want to get behind because Crawl is Crawl. He's not changed (laughs) at all. He's still the... He is the same person he was at the beginning of the movie. And Rebecca 
is worse. <laughs> she's worse. So she's supposed to be the person who's supposed to change. So I guess her character arc is like, she needs to come clean. You know, she's living a lie. But like, that's not, that wasn't established at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. That's not a character flaw until like right now. Yeah. And in this moment, it's very much like, I don't care about this confrontation. Right? No. I don't care. Like, oh, if we tell them, then what? This is not the conflict that I've been rooting for. The yeah. Whole, you know, I was like, I'm not look. I haven't been looking to see these characters overcome this, this emotional conflict yeah. about coming clean. Like, yeah. And I think that, right. Like all this being said, right. The person that if, if this were to happen that we should as an audience, maybe feel sorry for is, uh, Tyler. Travis. Thank you. Uh, is Travis. Because he's the one who's being lied to. He had this relationship with, they had been dating since before high school, like six or seven years they've been dating. And she comes home with this dude and is engaged. Yeah, like when, when Crawl like made that, made it up, like, oh yeah, we're getting married, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I had, when we're watching it, I had thought like, man, that, that's a low blow to freaking Travis. That yeah. poor guy, like you just ruined his life. Yeah. Like you've ruined everything. And like, so when, when Travis like punches out Crawl at the beginning of the, at the middle of the movie, yeah. I'm like, he yeah, that. he deserved that. Yeah. I, I'd do that too, I guess. Right. But wait. This movie doesn't want you to root for anyone. Travis, Travis is the heel. Is the heel. Travis is the big time douche. We don't like him because um, you get little snippets here and there to find out like he the whole time that Becca's been gone, he's been seeing another uh, local girl uh, named gr- Tracy. Yeah, the girl from uh, Saved by the Bell. Yeah, she's a she plays a character in Saved by the Bell. The actress, not Tracy. So. Her name's Tracy, and she's, you know, nice. Yeah, Tiffany Thiessen from Saved by the Bell. And I, like, am the most behind Tracy as a character, but also still not behind because she, like, knowingly was sleeping with this dude, knowing that he was was dating someone whom she also grew up with. And I'm just like, okay, don't. They're all unlikable. (laughs) They're all unlikable. But, like... (laughs) She has my vote at the end of this movie because what does Tyler do? Does Tyler at this point where he's like, well, I guess she's marrying this guy and she's all happy. So he like tells Crawl like, no hard feelings. I'll throw you a bachelor party uh, and does that. But it's not all cool. No, it's not. And he doesn't want Becca to be happy. uh, And he it doesn't matter that he's been sleeping with and is still sleeping with another girl. Um, He... He does something despicable. Despicable. He throws this bachelor party for Crawl, drugs him, puts drugs in his beard, makes him chug it. Um, and then when Tracy comes, because he, uh, Tyler had, dang it, because Travis had hired Tracy to basically dance for Crawl, uh, when Crawl pa- passes out because he's been roofied, um, Travis then hands another beer to Tracy, which has also been roofied. He drugs two people and sets them up in the barn while un- while they're unconscious to make it seem like they had a night together. Yes. And both of them wake up groggy in the morning. What happened? You know, and Travis like leads Rebecca and the family into the barn. No, that's not what happened. Oh. Like, well, close or not. Like he had an accomplice, which is... The guy, Theo, we haven't really talked about. He's a person, a hand on the farm who doesn't like crawl or whatever. And he, like, everyone's like, it's Thanksgiving Day at this point. Everyone's like, oh, where's crawl? He must still be sleeping. 
And they're like, well, he didn't come back up to the room after uh, the bachelor party. And, and Theo's like, well, I heard a lot of huffing and puffing in the barn. So maybe he just like got real sick and went out there. So Becca goes out to like wake him up because she just assumes he was really drunk after the bachelor party and like slept in the barn instead of home. But walks in and sees both of them. Half under half naked and under a sheet on yeah. some hay, and the the assumption is, oh, crawl cheated on not cheated on me, even though we're not dating and not really engaged. That's another and, th- and yeah, I, and I'm like I'm like Becca, why are you upset? Yeah, it like, doesn't make sense for her character to be this upset, right? It's, but like I guess by this point they're supposed to be like having real romantic feelings for each other. But it's terribly established. Yeah. It it does not make sense. There's no point in the movie where I feel like, oh yeah, Rebecca and Crawl like love each other. There's a moment where they're like, oh, we're gonna kiss, but it also feels like it's out of nowhere. Yeah. You're like, ah, mm. so she like runs away and she's all upset. Like the whole movie seems like they've just been gal pals the whole time. Yeah. Like <laughs> it does not feel like there is no tension between them. No, no romantic, Mm-mm. nothing, no spark. Nothing. So again, yeah, it's like she shouldn't be this upset that even if Crawl did sleep with another woman, it's like they're not dating. Yeah. And Crawl is like an older man who's already been established to be kind of like a weirdo and like a yeah. I don't know, like forward. And you were supposed to tell your family anyway, like right. So anyway, it, it creates this big old huff and puff. I do want to just say, like, this is something I wrote down, like, besides that. Like, he, like, I we played that clip of him saying, I want you to tell them. I don't want to hide this. And then two scenes later, he's like, well, I'm going to a bachelor party. Why? You That's want, a good point. Why are you going to this party if you're letting them, like, you're like, They're, no. You're already coming clean. Yeah. He's just like. I just want to party. Yeah. It's such a it's stupid. So it's dumb. so dumb. This movie sucks. Go. I'm sorry. Oh, forget it. It's all a big joke anyway, right? No, not for me. I'm into you. When? Yeah, until Tracy shows up. You into her too? Listen, last night, I'm at the bachelor party, I'm doing karaoke, and then I wake up in the barn. That's all I remember what happened, I swear. Oh, And the least you could do is be honest with me. I'm being honest. That you blacked out and woke up with Tracy. Yeah. My God, you must think I'm stupid. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. <laughs> I got this clip, right? Like, because I got the clips for this movie because he refused to watch it again. <laughs> Specifically because I wanted to highlight the thing, like, this is like going into the end of the movie, the thing that I find the most ab- appalling about this movie. Appalling, sure. Uh, <laughs> and that is, they've been drugged. And... A, a crime has been a, committed. A crime has been committed. And we will get to how I do more of that. But like when she said, I specific, this is a longer clip. And she's just like, you should at least tell me the truth. And he's like, I am telling you the truth. And like when I was watching this, I was like, he was drugged. And he doesn't know that at this point yet. But like that you're not going to be believed. Like I like that's like such a, this is one of the reasons why the end gets me so much because there are people who have been drugged and in situations that they can't remember or they have done things and they're not. And people are like, oh, right. Well, then, you know, no, and the, the, it's like, like, do you think I'm stupid? Like I, hi, my head is still spinning. I am very groggy. Um, something's not right. 
I'm gonna need you to give me a moment. It's like, have we not been friends long enough for you to not. like trust me or believe me when I say I don't know what's going on? We have not been friends long enough. It's been two months because we didn't start being friends until October. Yeah. It's a month. It's been a month. It's Hall- been a less than a month because Halloween Hall- is the last day of October. Halloween so. and ha- Halloween to Thanksgiving. That's how long they've been friends. Yep. Yeah, man. The script is awful. The script is awful. Really bad. And then poor Tracy is over here having to explain her end of the story. Yeah, because she's just chilling out. Like, she's leaving the barn and Travis shows up. Yep. What are you doing here? I don't know. What happened last night? You tell me. Well, I woke up in the barn, but I I can't remember anything. Well, I'll tell you what happened. You and Craw were all over each other when you left the bar last night. And why don't you take it from there? I was only going to dance for him. After what we had together. I mean, I thought I knew you. You are so low. You scumbag. This piece of filth. <laughs> like, excuse me? He drugged her and then like, let me give you this memory this false memory, and then say that you're low? What we had? You were cheating on your girlfriend with me. What do you mean I'm low? I, I will also say, like, I, I, the, the, the sin that, that Travis committed, you know, he's per- he, like, he, he, he obviously drugged these people, but he's also, you know, shaming her to perpetuate his lie. Yeah. Right? And we're supposed to be like, you, you terrible human being, you're perpetuating this lie. But it's like the whole movie, the two heroes have, per- have been perpetuating a lie. So it's like, I'm not going to equate like drugging people to like no. <laughs> just pretending to be married or whatever. But like legit, everyone in this movie is dishonest with each other. But like the dishonesty of Rebecca and Crawl are seen as like, I don't know, not as big a deal. In fact, it's funny Ye- in- compared to, you know, Travis over here. You being dishonest with everybody. Uh, how dare you, Travis? <laughs> That's it. Like, like, yeah, they are all essentially lying, but like, it's it's framed like Rebecca and Crawl's white lie is to protect everyone's feelings, while Travis drugged two people and then told a woman that she was all over. Just spam. And like, if you see that scene, like, uh, the actress is doing a good job. Like, she, you don't hear her sobbing. Because she's, like, playing it very close to the chest. Tears are, like, running down her face and she's shaking. Because could you even imagine, like, not knowing what happened and thinking the worst and trying to, like, not fall into a ball of shame yourself and then have somebody come and do... It's like this... Just describing it, this is a very serious, like, scary thing. But it's like, hey, this is a comedy. (laughs) This is... Let's get to the end game. End game. So yeah, Tracy, she discovers uh, evidence on uh, Travis's uh, crime, and she's able to present it to the whole family and uh, Rebecca and everybody to say, like, no, what happened isn't what you think it is. Look, Rebecca, I woke up in the barn with Carl this morning, and I thought I did something really stupid. Mm. How can you come in here and insult this family after what you did? That's Travis. Look, I don't remember what I did, and I think I know why. I found these in my car. Now, you said you saw me drive off with Crawl last night, but when I got in my car this morning, the seat was so far back, I couldn't even reach the pedals. Somebody awfully big must have been driving, huh? Because Theo, the hand, who we do know, 
helped with this, um, is a bigger man. <laughs> and so now we're in this situation where it's Thanksgiving dinner, I guess, lunch and um, breakfast, <laughs> right? And Rebecca's heartbroken, whatever, because Crawl cheated, whatever. And now Travis is here trying to like ingratiate himself with the family again. And then they come back in and are like, hey, I found drugs in my car and there's a name on it. We don't see it. I'm assuming it's Tra- Travis's name because she tosses it at him. Yeah, his prescription. And we're like unraveling this like, I don't know what I did, but I want to come clean like that. I was drugged and I'm pretty sure it was Travis and I'm pretty sure this guy had something to do with it. And, and then, and I'm pretty sure this Theo, this ranch hand drove my car here with us in it. Yeah. And what does Theo have to say about that when he's questioned? Now you better speak up. Your job depends on it. Theo. Oh, hell, Walter's just a joke. Just a joke. We took those two out there and we put them in the barn. I think everybody's going to get so upset about it. You drugged two people, took them from a place to another place without their consent, took off their clothing, put them together, and call it a joke, and didn't think anyone would be upset. Well, he's trying to cover his tracks. He's saying anything, because he knows what he did was wrong. I want... It on the record that the movie is saying these very serious things. Covering himself or not, these yes. very serious things. Yes, I agree. And How do we handle this situation, Rodney? How does the movie handle this situation? They tell a joke because this movie's a comedy. This movie's a comedy. It's just a joke. So I didn't bone her. So he didn't bone me. So you guys didn't bone. <laughs> they say... They say three bone jokes and call it a day. The movie's saved. Happy ending. <laughs> she looks so defeated. I'm, I'm, like, the reason this particular movie year is, like, the worst for me, because I have three triggers. I have three things that make me genuinely furious. And both of these movies have ticked off two of them. Mm. Not treating children in the system correctly and playing off. Assault. What? 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 I realize this is my movie. Kids, we're going to come all the way. We're going to come all the way across. I know I came and at the very beginning I was like, haha, my movie's great. That was was bravado. Because as an adult (laughs) watching this and getting through this whole movie, seeing like this is what we were led to. What? And we're just going to play it off. And what happens? We just like. Theo, you can't sit here. You can't have your your job is gone and take this guy out of here too. Yeah, like, like they're not going to report pu- this man. Punch Travis, throw him out of the house. Let's he, have Thanksgiving dinner. They're not reporting him. They're not doing anything. He, he's not having any consequences for drugging two people. All that I didn't get a clip for it, but you know they also don't come clean about not being engaged. They they say to themselves, "Let's make this work." What, what do they, they, they say, hey, we've called off the engagement for a little while. We want to take things slow. But we are in a relationship now. Yeah. Everybody say cheesy. Cheesy. <laughs> that is the very end of the movie. And that happens literally three minutes after they throw the assaultist out. Goodness gracious. <laughs> I didn't know you were going to get so riled up and eviscerate this movie for me. But thank you. <laughs> 
like thoughts. Yeah. I think like so this was like my main point, right? Like with both movies that nostalgia plays a very heavy role in this. Yes. Right? Like when I made you watch this, I was like, oh my gosh, son-in-law. I love son-in-law. I can't remember the last time I watched son-in-law before we watched it together. And watching it as an adult, I was like, what? What? Yep. Not okay. And nostalgia does a lot because I can like sit here and say all these things are very wrong with this, but I still know that there's a small part uh, in my, uh, what's the English word? In my heart that like is like, oh, son in law, it is a movie that I watched a lot that I like. Even though I'm like, no, I don't like this movie. This movie says horrible, terrible things and is not a responsible movie whatsoever. And, and I think it's the same it's with like, Free Willy. It's, it's done poorly. And it's done very poorly. Like, I could name so many different... There are, like, 17 Hallmark movies that do this exact same thing far better. You know? Like, why? Yep, yep. But Free Willy's not that different either, right? Like, it's just kind of like, we're sitting here like, what is this movie? What, yeah, is, what, is yeah. the, what, what is the what what is the draw for children? What is any of this? And it's nostalgia is the only reason yeah. we think highly of it. All of the foster stuff went completely over my head as a kid. And then I'm watching it and I was like, man, this foster dad is making me really upset. Yeah. Like, he sucks. <sighs> Green Acres is the place to be. <laughs> Just tell me the reception. I'm done. All right. So that is son-in-law. I assume... Uh, that is neither a recommend from both of us. No. No, no. Don't we, watch this movie. Stay far, far away from this movie. Watch Biodome. I'm just kidding. I haven't watched that in years no, either. No, 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 don't, don't. Yeah. It was like, if this is ever on uh, freaking Disney Plus, don't watch it. Just stay, <laughs> stay far away from Holy Shore. Uh, all right. As with Encino Man, Son-in-Law was a financial success, grossing $36.4 at the box office against a $4.6 million budget. So, wow. Yeah. Nine times its gross. That's... Or nine times its budget. Well. Uh, also, as with Encino Man, Son-in-Law was ravaged by critics. I, well. Salt Lake City's desert uh, news called it alternately stupid and offensive, <laughs> which is perfect. Yes. Uh, Grandpa Ebert had the right idea, too. He said, quote, this story was never going to be great movie making, but it might have been more palatable if Shaw... If Shore had been able to make Crawl even marginal, marginally likable. That's true, but he didn't even like Crawl, so no. there was no hope. And and here's here's a very interesting criticism from the Los Angeles Times that I found. And I was like, I didn't even think about this, but I, th- I thought this was such a great idea, I wanted to write it down. Son-in-law suggests that somebody like Crawl would be as weird as a lunar being to the Midwestern Warners. That isn't so. Because of TV and the movies, LA subcultures are the ones everyone knows about. In any town within reach of cable TV, the teenagers would not only recognize Polly, there might be imitation Pollys at the high school already. That's fair. Yeah, I was that's a really interesting point. Yeah. So like your movie is very fiction is basically what they're saying. Yeah. Your <laughs> your movie makes no sense and it's out of touch and and stupid. Well. Which is true. Uh, however, Polly Shore was nominated for Best Comedic Performance for Son-in-Law at the MTV Movie Awards. Why? He We're... lost to Robin Williams for Mrs. Doubtfire. Good. Good good oh. job, Robbie. So go watch Mrs. Doubtfire instead. It's a way better movie. You should. <laughs> oh, and what is the legacy of Son-in-Law? I don't think there is one. <laughs> because it, it, no, it, I think everyone involved wants to forget it happened. That's, I mean, yeah. then don't put it on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> 
Uh, oh, um, here's something interesting. Uh, to, pr- to promote the film, MTV ran a contest to marry Polly Shore in Las Vegas, which was won by Massachusetts' own Tanya Sanati. <laughs> Uh, though there was there there was a ceremony July second nineteen ninety three no affair no official marriage certificate was signed it was all a yeah publicity hello. Thing. I think Prince did the same thing some woman some woman married Prince for promotion for one of his movies well yeah that's a weird way to promote in my opinion but I mean that's fine is there anyone I would want to marry me <laughs> where did Pauly Shore go from here. Well, Pauly Shore continued to star in comedy films throughout the 1990s, with each subsequent film earning less money and receiving worse reviews. Oh. He got, he got progressively worse. Oh. Mr. Shore. Uh, in 2003, he produced, wrote, directed, and starred in a semi-autobiographical mockumentary called Pauly Shore is Dead, which gave him the best reviews of his career. <laughs> wow. That sounds interesting. Uh, his, his 2009 mockumentary project, Adopted, was not as well received. <sighs> I've not seen Adopted. Never even heard of it. Nope. Uh, he has since appeared in a variety of movie and TV projects, including reality show Minding the Store, reality cooking show Hell's Kitchen, and the animated series Star vs. the Forces of Evil. Oh, who's he in that? Johnny Blowhole. Okay. I don't know. Star, we, we like Star vs. the Forces of Evil in I this do. house. Um, in total, Pauly Shore has re- received four Golden Razzie Awards oh, throughout wow. his acting career, but none due to son-in-law. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's... And something. I think that's the, the, the only silver lining we have for son-in-law. <laughs> and that is the end of that. <laughs> Will we be seeing Polly Shore again in the show? No. Well, yes. <laughs> we won't be seeing him. We will hear him. Yeah. Uh, but that is a story for another day. Uh, what's next? Runners-up? <laughs> Just ready to move right on. Well, I think before we discuss runners up, we should discuss who won this episode. As bad as Free Willy as I did. Like, yeah. So, I would not recommend either of these movies. And I, I, I. You call it a draw? I, no, I will give it to Free Willy because I just don't think anyone should watch Sun. I'm sorry, Polly. But also, Free Willy makes me very angry. It's not a good movie, and I wouldn't tell anybody to watch it either. Because neither are good, but I'd say Free Willy still is a better movie. Like, like I, I don't the people think in it wanted to be in it. It's not good, but like it's better. Yeah, than it's Sun a better Sun, movie. Sun, the Sun, the, it's the, a it's a movie. The bar is so low that like Free Willy won by like I, I mean, like, like, like the participation gonna, award. Yes, I'm not gonna like fight you on this. I would say that it won, but it's not a winner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the best way to put it. Oof. Uh, but I guess we can talk about what we could have watched uh, this year. Yeah, well, disappoint me. What what could have we have watched? Yo, gosh, kids, we could have watched something, anything, but much better. Oh, you did. So for you, runners up, Hocus Pocus. I don't even like that movie all that much either. But it's better than Free Willy. I'll take your I'll take your word for it. Nightmare Before Christmas. Also, another movie I don't like that. Much. I actually really hate that movie. Yeah. And Homework Bound. <laughs> Homeward Bound. <laughs> now that's a movie I would have wanted to watch again. <laughs> so we can see all the animal abuse. No, no, no. I want to see sassy, Shadow and Shadow. Sassy and Chance. I want to see them travel the Pacific Northwest. Okay. <laughs> On the back of a whale. <laughs> Kids, go watch Homeward Bound instead of Free Willy. <laughs> For real. Yeah. That's probably on Disney Plus. What are your runners So up? mine was also Hocus Pocus. Um, but I also had Rudy, 
which I didn't know Sam Wise was in. He's uh, the star. People are people. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, Sandlot, okay. which is a good movie. I've never seen it. And Joy Luck Club, which I've seen a lot. That would have made us sad too, wouldn't it? <laughs> no. Well, yes, it would have. Dang it. I really wish we had watched that. And Honestly, I feel like we may have like flipped a coin with this one. Probably. Like, because I watch, I don't rewatch yeah. movies a bunch, but I did watch Son-in-Law and Hocus Pocus, or sorry, Son-in-Law and Joy Luck Club a lot growing up, like a lot. And uh, so much so that when I was in high school, I actually read the book for Joy Luck Club. And I was like, this is much different. And then I watched the movie again. Um, the Joy Luck Club is, is so interesting and I, good. I would like, Kids, read that book. I was I read the book in in uh, high school. Yeah. yeah, read the book. See the movie. Never see it as a stage play. Uh, it was. It's very. It's very hard to translate to play. I've seen it, and you guys did a great job. But it was. It was weird. <laughs> I'm gonna say people are gonna be yelling at us on Twitter. Like you, we could have been watching Hocus Pocus. We could have watched Homeward Bound. And you talked about Son in Law for an hour and a half. Gosh, I'm I wish, sorry. I'm so sorry. I wish we could have watched Joy Luck Club together, kids. I wish you have you seen Joy Luck Club? Mm-mm. Oh man, that yeah. Oof, oof. I'm just saying this is this is the episode of hate. Yeah, this, this was mm, this is the hate episode. Nothing was good here. No, <laughs> I guess it's I guess that's good for us to be able to see, right? Like, I hope you enjoyed this. Yeah, kids, this right? is like, like this is like the dark side of nostalgia. <laughs> yeah, when you're like, there's some things that you should just bury and just. Think we're good. Yep. yep. All right. What's next up? So that's it. That's the end of our show. We can uh, put some plugs that may make you a little bit happier to know us, kids. Hey, so if you like the show, there's a few things you can do for us. Uh, Hey, go listen to a happier show. (laughs) Yeah. You know, hey, tell us what your movie was from 1993 on Twitter, on Instagram, at Media Mate Show. That's our handle on both. Tell us what you loved about 1993 movies. Yeah. Uh, if, If you genuinely like free willy let us know if you think that hocus pocus needs to be talked about let us know yeah Yeah, i'd much rather do a hocus pocus and joy luck club movie hey but yeah (laughs) yeah follow us on twitter instagram at media made show um you can leave us a five-star review on uh your podcast platform of choice apple podcast google podbean yeah send it you know shoot us a review Shoot us a message, comment, let us know what you thought about the show. What do you do? Uh, I juggle sometimes with knives. No, I don't do that. (laughs) Um, If you want to hear more from me or possibly see what I look like, uh, I have a YouTube with which that I sometimes vlog, sometimes put up stories in a cheap form of animation, and sometimes um, reorganize my bookshelf because... It's my channel. I do what I want. <laughs> it's Taming Tales on YouTube if you're interested. Taming Tales. Um, if you like my voice, I do. I have a few projects. I run a YouTube show about professional wrestling called Keep Kayfabe. That's K-A-Y-F-A-B-E. We follow the careers and characters of our favorite wrestlers. Uh, if you like wrestling, check that out. I also write for a website about video games. Right for ZeldaDungeon.net. Mm. We Right, all about the Legend of Zelda Nintendo series. So if you like Zelda, check that out as well. You can follow me on Twitter personally, at Rod the Master. And I think that is all she wrote about <laughs> 1993 movies. Oh, let's, let's, let's just bury let's these movies here. and get the heck out of here. So we're going to close out with a song from uh, the soundtrack to Son-in-Law. 
It is a cover of the Hank Williams classic, Hey Good Looking. Mm-hmm. What you got cooking? <laughs> oh, gosh. So I thought this was apropos because it is a movie about, like, the, the blending of the, you know, the country with the glam of Los Angeles. Right. right? So we're going to listen to a cover of Hank Williams' Hey Good Looking by C.C. DeVille, who is the lead guitarist from Poison, <laughs> the glam metal band Poison, and his side project, Needle Park. <laughs> okay. So with that, we will see you down the road. Happier times ahead with our music of 1993. We'll never do this to you again, kids. Night, buddies. Good looking. Whoa! 